The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review nights 5 through 8 of Best of the Super Junior 30 and Resurgence and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? We are here. We are the best. You have not made a mistake. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. There's a reason they call us the Ace of Podcast, Jeremy. You know why that is? Why is that? Because we're the best, bro. <laughs> the best. The best. The best. I'm going to cut a promo doing that one day. <laughs> you have no idea how many promos like I cut just on my own. That no one ever knows about, no one ever hears. Um, I still remember that uh, that promo you did on Sir Sam for the Ricky and Quiz, Ricky and Clive uh, Quiz Invitational. You know, that's a funny promo. That one's too long. It's like a little too wordy. I should have got to the point a little bit quicker. But yeah, I I I, I roasted that man, you know. And then <laughs> and then I backed up everything I said in a shoot. Okay. <laughs> You know, that wasn't no that wasn't no work. That wasn't no predetermined thing. I went on that quiz show. I handed him his lunch. I ate his lunch. I don't know what the saying is, but um I took him to school, you know? <laughs> no, but we love Sir Sam and um, you know, looking forward to the day that he uh collaborates with uh social suplex once again and you know, decides to create some content. But um we're here and we've got 
a lot to talk about. I mean, what, five, six, seven, four days of best of super juniors, resurgence, plus we got finals coming up next week. Like, this is a crazy episode. Yeah, we got a lot to jump into, so I guess let's not waste any more time and let's uh, get this show rolling here. So let's start off with our uh, best of the Super Junior uh, review and recap from the last uh, few shows. Like I said, we'll review uh, nights five through eight, and we'll do the same format like we did last week. We'll review each block, start at the top of the block. And, of course, tomorrow we have the A block finals. Wednesday is the B block finals. Friday semifinals Sunday the finals we'll give you some of our predictions and, and scenarios on what we think is going to happen going forward to this week as well so uh, we'll start with the a block here so currently as of this recording leading the a block is speedball Mike Bailey with 12 points uh, we, we got three guys with 12 points but due to tiebreakers and stuff uh, speedball I got him listed first so uh, on night five he defeated Teton on night six, he defeated Doki. On night seven, he lost to Taiji Ishimori. And then on night eight, he defeated Risuke Taguchi. Josh, what have you been thinking uh, about speedball so far? I mean, it's almost going to sound very somewhat repetitive at this point. You know, we uh, applauded him and gave him his roses last week. And you know, uh, I don't know if I expected something to change over the course of the remainder of the tournament, but one of the most consistent things has been the performance of one speedball Mike Bailey. Like every single night, even if he's not in a main event slot, let's say, he's pretty much um, trying his best, it seems like, to either steal the show or be in contention for match of the night. And this is pretty um like i said consistent all throughout like he's going out there and it doesn't matter what type of opponent he has it doesn't matter their age or their skill level or their experience or anything um you know lots of times we talk about guys and their chemistry with each other well speedball mike bailey just magically seems to have that chemistry with every single person (laughs) in this entire tournament maybe that's a hallmark of you know the the fact that he's one of the very very best wrestlers in the world today and i think he's proving it in this tournament yeah another great week for speedball you know this week most of his matches were in that 10 minute range and still very 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 good matchups uh the Deguchi match was really good and also we'll talk about Deguchi, but uh you know we're seeing big match Deguchi and him and speedball had a really fun match i love the spot in that match where uh, on the outside, uh, Speedball reverses the oh my gray ankle and thinks that he throws Taguchi into the post, but Taguchi fakes the sell and uh, gets the advantage on Speedball. Uh, but yeah, Speedball has just had a really fun week here. A lot of high pace, high intensity matchups, a Doki match, a Teton match, tons of high flying there. Uh, eating a loss, his second loss to uh, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori here, but he's still in a very good spot. He's still alive going into tomorrow night's a block finals and the man who's going to be facing tomorrow night is leo rush who's also with 12.6 and 2 uh this past week leo he lost to doki on night five night six he lost to teton and then he rebounded with two wins on night seven he defeated kushida 
And then on night eight, he defeated TJP. Yeah, Leo Rush, I feel like has um, obviously, again, another performer in this tournament that we've lauded a lot of praise upon. Um, But I felt like in the early portion of the tournament, like the first week or so, Mike Bailey to me seemed to be maybe the higher peaking performer, not just having, you know, a couple matches that probably were a little bit more top end, but just generally speaking was also, you know, a little more consistent, but Leo has seemed to kind of come on stronger in the second half of the tournament, in my opinion. Now, none of these matches have necessarily reached the heights of the match that he had with Hiromu in their main event, but just in terms of like him being dialed in and kind of just focused, like he's just laser focused right now. It's sort of like maybe there was a little bit of ring rust, but as time's gone on, he's just gotten better and better. Um, The Doki match, five minutes and 43 seconds was really short, but it was super memorable. It was was boom, 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 high spot, high spot. And then the fact that Doki beat him, I guess you can kind of say that that was expected because everyone's going to lose eventually in a tournament like this, but that was an awesome moment for a fan of Doki like me, and I thought Leo Rush made him look incredible in that match. Yeah, man, it was like just a five-minute banger, and yeah, I popped huge for Doki getting the upset win there. That was a big win for Doki as he's you know he's trying to meet his uh, break his personal best in Super Juniors, and plus for Leo Rush, he Leo was on a roll there on top of the block, and to eat a loss like that to Doki was kind of a detriment to him uh, in his quest here to win the A block. Yeah, and I mean. Um... It's one of those things where, like, last week when we were talking about Doki, I started saying I didn't think it was possible for him to, um, I don't know, like, beat his best from the years prior, uh, his best personal record. But don't listen to me. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, obviously. Like, we have this podcast, but I'm clearly wrong. (laughs) Because, you know, I guess like a mark, I looked at it and I was like, like, Oh, Leo Rush, no way he's winning that match. And then he <laughs> won it, and I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah, Doki, I never doubted you. Um, but that's one of the things. This has been a very wild, unpredictable tournament. And one of the things I've noticed is as time has gone on, now night eight just passed, and Leo Rush and TJP had an absolute banger. Yeah, like, love that match. So smooth, so crisp really just top end junior top end i don't even want to call it junior wrestling top end wrestling period um and night eight seemed to be like we're all we're coming off of this high point for the tournament but here in the middle because everything's been so condensed it's been pretty apparent a lot of people have been banged up um match times have been going even shorter and i think that that's one of the detrimental aspects of the format that they have going you know where mm-hmm. We have so many nights and so many tournament matches condensed in such a short period of time. And it actually has kind of become interesting in a certain respect because it even plays into the kayfabe. Like, this might be the most difficult Super Juniors tournament of all time just based on the schedule alone. It's becoming like this Iron Man sprint where everyone's having to go balls to the wall night after night after night. There's, There's only been like two rest periods. And um, I say all that to say this, like Leo Rush is one of the few guys that has gotten better as time has gone on. Everyone else seems to be slowing down a half step and like kind of needing to take breaks. And he's one of the few guys that's like, no, like give me more. And like, 
that kind of proves it with that last match he had with TJP, where it's like that's one of the big high points of his tournament so far. Yeah, I feel like performance-wise, he's starting to peak, which is a great point in the tournament to peak going into the the, uh, block finals and semifinals and stuff like that. And, yeah, these guys are all banged up. You know, that TJP match, both both Leo and TJP are both uh, all wrapped up in KT tape on the shoulder. Um, You know, Dan Maloney, he's all taped up. A lot of guys are, you know, they're banged up. They're feeling the pain. They're taped up. We'll talk about an injury that we had here uh, in a few minutes. But, yeah, these guys are definitely feeling this grueling schedule, but Leo, yeah, he's peaking right now. He's having these great performances, and that TJP match, TJP match, was just a, a ton of fun, especially you know in Cork and Hall, that you know jam-packed Cork and lively crowd, and yeah, everything about that match was a, a ton of fun. There've been some really great nights, but the two nights that kind of just bookend and are the highlights of the tournament are night one and night eight, and they were both in Cork and Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like the guys knew, like, all right, we're in Cork, and we, we have to show out tonight. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so next up, also with 12 points, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi, on night five, he defeated Taguchi. On night six, he defeated Kushida. On night seven, he defeated TJP. And then on night eight, he defeated Taiji Ishimori by referee's decision uh, due to an injury that happened in the matchup. Uh, so Hiromu here rolling off four wins this week. Yeah, he's just um, he's really on fire as the uh, you know junior champion. And uh, last week uh, left me with a, a, again a lot of egg on my face. We try our best to be as knowledgeable and. You know, I, I feel like sometimes I put pressure on myself. I don't know if you do this, Jeremy, where we always have to be right. <laughs> like, we always got to be ahead. And very often, I mean, I'm not saying we, we don't – it's not that we have a perfect track record, obviously, but we're usually pretty close to, like, what a finals tournament is going to be like. Mm-hmm. We're usually pretty much in the money when it comes to saying who's going to have what point totals and yada, yada. And obviously a lot of that comes down to – doing this for years and knowing a lot of Gato's booking, um, you know, the things that he does regularly. Yeah. And this week I thought Hiromu was like going to eat another loss. And I was really counting on that loss to come from Kushida who we'll talk about him, but I've been wildly off the mark as it pertains to Kushida. And I know, I know you have been too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like Gato is listening to us and he's like, you know what? I gotta mix it up. I gotta throw these boys <laughs> off their game. You know that they they know my my patterns. They know my tropes too well. I, I gotta mix it up. Yeah, like we know all his tendencies. So, um, and that was one of the things that we did highlight when we did the preview episode with Chris Samsa. Is I mentioned how because they're doing the new format. Obviously, the tournament doesn't seem that different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, still two blocks, 10 guys. But when you do that 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B final, the way that the point totals have to align, the way that the booking goes, it changes wildly. And a lot of the things that we're used to seeing out of this tournament just are not coming to pass. And so here we're sitting here, um, you know, eight nights in. Hiromu's got 12 points. He's still in the running. Um the one thing that's hurting him, though, is that the two guys that are above him in Mike Bailey and Leo Rush 
are the two guys that have beaten him already and they've got equal points to him. So, you know, without even having to do any sort of like mumbo jumbo math, we already know that unless he gets ahead of one of those two guys in the points, he's not going to make it to the finals. If he ties with them, he loses the tiebreaker unless someone else, you know, somehow jumps up and creates a three-way or four-way scenario where there needs to be some other, you know, method to determine the person going to the end of the block. Yeah, and we'll we'll take a look at the scenarios uh, here. Um, we'll preview the A block finals, but yeah, I the- haven't even considered any of the scenarios. To be honest with you, I've just been like I mentioned last week, just like I gotta watch the show. Let's just get through the show. And this is my catch up right now. Is like learning <laughs> where everybody is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean these are the the main three guys uh, that are in play here: Bailey, Leo Rush, Hiromu. All of big matches coming up uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's show, the, the A Block final. But yeah, Hiromu had a fun week here. Uh, you know, the Kushida match was really good, but in a way, kind of disappointing just because we, we know what those guys can do. We know their history and the great matches they've had in the past. And it was slotted in the semi main event. Um, they tried some stuff, you know, brawling in the arena, brawling outside on the grass. And then. We got in the, that dirty tall grass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and then we got the uh, the count out finish with uh, Kushida failing to get back in the ring before the twenty count. Um, so not quite what you would expect from a, a Harumi Kushida match, but it was still um, a great semi main event. And then I, I was very disappointed in that match for most of the reasons that you mentioned. And it's just these these guys we haven't seen them together in like six years. There's so much rich lore that could have been (laughs) delved into so many callbacks and things like that. And they're sort of just having a house show match. I mean, they did do some cool stuff. The brawling was fine, but when it just ended in a count out, that's super anticlimactic. They didn't dig into any of the character stuff between them, their history. Like you would have never, if you didn't know, you would have never been able to tell that these guys had any sort of history with, they were heated rivals. (laughs) Right. I mean, literally, that was the passing of the torch. Like, the top of the of the junior division was Kushida, and the guy he passed it off to was Hiromu, and then Kushida left. And there's there's a whole there's a whole thing there, you know? And none of that was delved into, not even just, you know, I'm not even just talking about, like, character work, but even just in the match structure, the way... Well, and you know what? We should have known, because it was the semi-main event, and that was very suspicious. Right, in, our, it in wasn't a random town. Yeah, in a random town, not on a Corican or something. Um, we we probably should have known, but it is still nonetheless very disappointing. Yeah, and then uh, the Hiromu TJP match, uh, I loved that matchup. You know, we talked about you know last week is how great TJP is, and yeah, a great opportunity there stepping in uh, against Hiromu. And these guys went out here had a great twenty minute back and forth matchup with uh, Hiromu picking up the win there. Yeah, that was one where I thought TJP could potentially pick up a win, you know, just play spoiler sort of thing. Didn't happen. Um, The Taguchi matching, though, that was only five minutes. That was really great. Um, Like we've been talking about how great Taguchi is. Hiromu's been consistently just jiving with every opponent that he wrestles with. And then, um, you know, night eight, this most recent show, um, this was the semi-main event. Yeah. The semi-main event, Hiromu versus Ishimori in Corkin. This is, obviously, they've wrestled each other several times since 
their first meeting at the best of super junior finals in like what was that 2018 yeah but that's their most famous match and that occurred in cork and hall and it was in this tournament so they went out there and this was the first time all tournament probably actually in a really long time where i felt like ishimori was trying really hard and looked like the motivated mm-hmm. younger version of himself and him and like Hiromu were just having a classic in my opinion i thought the match was awesome and they had a lot of callbacks to that first match that they had right yeah brawling into the crowd yeah all of that and um like in the first match Hiromu did that part where they went up to the second tier and he ran the full length of the aisleway and drop kicked him and took the back bump on the cement mm-hmm. and this time Ishimori did it to Hiromu so it was like real it was like a reversal of roles really cool stuff and right in the middle of the match they're probably like 10 minutes in they're doing they're heating up they're doing all these reversals Hiromu um hoists Ishimori up and Ishimori gives him a poison rana and Jeremy I can tell you that's where the injury happened he fell weird on the poison rana on his shoulder trying to get all the way over Mm. and he immediately grabbed his shoulder and he just wasn't moving right after that I've seen a lot of other people hypothesize when they think this happened I got a pretty keen eye for this I'm telling you it happened at the poison rana yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And all. some people are trying to say it was a concussion, but uh, we, we got the official report from New Japan. They announced that uh, Ishimori, he's going to be missing the remainder of the tournament due to a cervical vertebrae injury, the injury that he suffered uh, in the match against Hiromu on Sunday. Um, people are, were speculating that apparently he got hurt after taking a sit-out powerbomb. Um, like you're saying, I think it might have came off of that uh, the Poison Rana. It could have been that the sit-out powerbomb came right after that, but he looked like he was moving weird before they went into that move, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's just my take on it. It looked He looked wrong after taking after he landed the Poison Rana. The way he came down and the way he landed, like, it just didn't look right. But um, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was the sit-out powerbomb, but they happened literally boom-boom back-to-back to one another. It could even be a combination of yeah, and good job on Red Shoes for seeing that Ishimori was legitimately hurt very seriously and, and calling for the, the ref stoppage, even though they you know they were only 10 minutes in. I'm sure they're probably going to go another 5 or 10 minutes and have a, a great matchup. But yeah, match stopped here. Hiromu wins by uh, referee's decision, ref stoppage, and picks up two points to get to 12, uh, which leads us to talk about Taiji Ishimori, who is going to end his tournament at 10 points. Um, so this past week, he defeated Kushida on night five. He lost to show on night six, night seven. He defeated speedball, Mike Bailey. And like we just mentioned on night eight, he lost to Hiromu due to the injury and losing by ref stoppage. Yeah. Um, since we're already on the subject, you know, our best wishes and thoughts go with Taiji Shimori and his uh, speedy recovery. Hopefully there's no complications and he comes back healthy and, you know, ready to perform when he's, you know, able to. Um, aside from that, though, in terms of the actual booking, I do wonder if that was the outcome that was planned um, or not. You know what I mean? Because when the match ended, I didn't know how they were going to rule it because both men were on the ground at first, and I thought it was a double knockout or something. I didn't know exactly what was happening, and then it took a little bit of time before they, like, went to Hiromu in the corner and raised his hand and his music came on. I was like, oh, he's getting the two points. 
So I'm wondering, was he supposed to win? And he, and like, it just happened, you know, obviously it's not a happy accident, but you know, it fits into the booking that they already had, or if it's something that it's like, Oh shit, uh, Ishimori was going to go over. Now are, we have to like, you know, basically readjust everything. Yeah, based off of what is set up for this A block finals, to me, it feels like Hiromi was going to win anyway. Regardless. Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, there is, is there is a possibility where I think maybe the math could have worked out if Taiji would have won, um, then Hiromi would have gone into the last night with 10 points and then would have had a chance to get to 12 to potentially get a tiebreaker scenario. And also that would have left uh, Taiji Ishimori open to either win and get 14 or lose and stay at 12, then again, a tiebreaker scenario could have played out there as well. But I do think um, Hiromi was going to was set to go all the way into this, at least the semifinals, being the junior champion and having this, you know, A1, B1, A2, B2 scenario. And so, yeah, I, I think yeah, it worked out in their favor with Hiromi um, getting the points here and moving into uh, the finals of A block. Well, uh, that's, uh, I guess, in light of everything fortunate. Um, as far as, you know, preceding that match, um, I thought Ishimori was having a good but not necessarily great. It was somewhat pretty pedestrian. It seemed to me like on night eight in the semi-main event spot with Hiromu, he seemed motivated to go out there and really, like, showcase. But, um, you know, the show match was a lot of, shenanigans i was actually surprised that show picked up a win over him um a lot of bullet club bullshit there yeah uh but ishimori did defeat kushida and then he defeated uh mike bailey which was somewhat surprising and is another thing that kind of leads me to to wonder what the outcome of night eight was really supposed to be but you're probably right but yeah unfortunately ishimori is out and i guess we do need to talk about the booking moving forward because typically the way it works in situations like this is like unless there's an alternate and that's pretty rare the remainder of their tournament um, opponents just pick up two points so there's only one more night though for regular tournament action correct correct yeah so i guess we'll have to take a look at that but you know uh whoever ishimori had on the final night and i haven't looked myself so i'm not totally sure but they're gonna win right yeah i'm trying to look see um so i know for a fact though regardless it's not leo russian it's not mike bailey right because it's not, it's they're not, facing one another it's not Taguchi, it's not kushida it's not doki or show is it teton no teton's facing hiromu in the main event oh, okay um so who does that leave um oh it looks was like it tjp looks like okay I was going to say, was it Taguchi? Because that would suck if that was Taguchi's only win. No, Taguchi's uh, facing uh, Kushida. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, it looks like it was going to be TJP and um, Ishimori. Okay, so, um, you know, we'll talk about TJP in a bit, but I guess that means his tournament's over as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so next up, with, uh, 10 points, Teton. He's 5-3. and three. Night five, he lost to Mike Bailey. Night six, he defeated Leo Rush. Night seven, he lost to Sho. And night eight, he defeated Doki. Um, that that win over Leo Rush, very important. So at 10 points, going into tomorrow's A-block finals, 
Teton is still alive as he faces Hiromu Takahashi. If he beats Hiromu, he does have a chance to advance to the semifinals. Right, because he'll get to 12 points. He'll have the win over Hiromu, and then he'll have a win over Leo Rush. And were Leo Rush to lose to Mike Bailey, that would give Teton the tiebreaker, and he'd make it into the finals as 1B, essentially, or AB, or what, what a- are they calling? A2. It? A2. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> um, Teton is a guy who we've said it before. Um, he's really like risen up the ranks of CMLL and he's the only uh, Mexican CMLL like representative in the entire tournament. And over there he is like a top guy, but that's never stopped new Japan from potentially, you know, giving some of these types of competitors like a 500 record or just slightly over that. And that's sort of where I saw Teton going, but they've made it pretty clear. They've, they've, at least given him five and three. He he's perhaps looking at six and three, which is a phenomenal tournament and maybe even a bid to the finals. Um, I'm not ready to say he's quite at the level of like say, in terms of kayfabe in New Japan from management. I wouldn't say he's the new Dragon Lee, but he might be the new Volador. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's probably one of the best you know bookings he's had in one of these tournaments. Like you mentioned, usually he's going like. Three and six, maybe four and five, but to my memory, I think it's the best that he's done in recent years. And you know, the association with Lij, the recent you know tag team up with Bushi, and um, the few that he had with Catch Two Two, and just some of the stuff that he's been uh, doing in Mexico as well, definitely has elevated his stock, elevated his game. And yeah, this is the best he's been booked in New Japan. And yeah, he's kind of fitting into that kind of top luchador spot also maybe not quite dragon lee but yucky mentioned yeah boulder junior type spot and i don't think that there's been necessarily too many main events with teton too many matches where you're like oh my god you gotta go out of your way and watch it but if you're just paying attention to the tournament every night every teton match is like super enjoyable very fun um i know it was only six minutes the doki match the doki match was just so fucking good it might be my that that's Probably my favorite Doki match of the tournament. I went three and a half on it. It's only six minutes, and it's nothing but RLPW. Just straight dives, people right flying. Yeah. <laughs> like, just crazy. I mean, it, it, that was literally like a Friday night, like, uh, Arena Mexico-style, like, Lucha spot fest. It was just fucking awesome. I loved it. The only thing that sucked was I wanted Doki to win. But Same. That- he was so close. He kept getting the <laughs> the Italian stretch 32 on him, and it looked like he was going to tap out. But, yeah, uh, Teton was able to uh, escape and get the win. I don't know if you noticed, but that match was, like, almost all Teton diving and Doki just putting on submissions. Mm-hmm. Doki didn't even fly that much. Yeah, it was, yeah, Teton doing more of the flying of that one. But, yeah, Teton's been awesome. And uh, who knows? I mean, I guess we'll we'll – talk about our preview for next week but he's he's alive yeah so then next up tjp so currently he's at eight points he will have he was supposed to face ishimori tomorrow in the a block final so at the end of tomorrow's show he'll end the tournament five and four of ten points um so on night five he defeated show night six he defeated taguchi Night seven, he lost to Hiromu, and then on night eight, he lost to Leo Rush. And we had a question from Reddit user Semi Hat: Why isn't TJP a superstar? 
Um, well, that is maybe not a question I could answer succinctly. I'm not totally sure. Um, there's a lot of things kind of going against the guy. Like he's up until the last decade, he was never really firmly involved in any major, major companies in a, in a, you know, meaningful way. So, I mean, he was always sort of like an independent darling, someone that like, uh, you know, the most diehard fans knew about, but, you know, working ROH, working impact, a suicide, stuff like that. And, you know, working out of the LA dojo, like that's not enough to really make you a superstar. Mm -hmm. And the one big opportunity that he did have was uh, after the cruiserweight classic, it seemed like they were going to build that uh, division around him. And, you know, like most things that WWE tries, they fucked it up. And, (laughs) you know, I think a lot, if there's a really great series going on over at voices of wrestling, what is that? They're reviewing the entire like cruiserweight classic. I think it's called uh, sky's the limit. I think it's called, you should check that out because now that we're, you know, almost a decade, we're like seven, eight years away from the Cruiserweight Classic. There's a lot more insight that we have as to what was going on there. And it, you know, uh, I don't want to steal their thunder, but it really wasn't actually a celebration of junior independent style or international wrestling as much as it was a blockade to stop any the rise of these stars from, you know, basically doing what AEW ended up doing. <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, you know, they they tried to build that division around uh, TJP, and I actually don't even blame him necessarily, but uh, go back and read some of his interviews about his time with WWE, and he, he'll tell you, like, why he didn't enjoy working there, what his issues were. And, you know, it was a, basically a place where he was creatively stifled, where he wasn't able to have the kind of matches he wanted to have, wrestle the way he wanted to wrestle. Um, they didn't necessarily give him the best creative to endear himself. Look at some of those early like uh, feuds that he had going on, where they just kind of made him look like a like a nobody. Yeah, I think like, the first Raw that featured the Cruiserweights, he wasn't even on the show. I don't think, or like, he had like, a very quick like runner or something like that. I remember he had a feud with like Brian Kendrick, where Brian Kendrick was like kicking him in the balls, and it was like <laughs> you know, it was the prototype of what. AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura became later on. Um, you know, so I don't know if he was ever really given the platform and opportunity to be like a quote unquote superstar. Then you combine that with some of his outside wrestling activities, some of the stuff that's been that he's been involved in on social media for better or for worse. It's not necessarily endeared him to a large section of the fan base especially like the hardcore audience you know what i mean mm-hmm. so um i think right now is probably the apex of his long career even though he's a young guy he's been wrestling forever um i just don't think anyone's ever figured out how to utilize him properly and we're kind of in this weird place where like new japan seems to be able to be like new japan seems to be the perfect fit right now for guys like TJP and like a Leo Rush, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think New Japan, this has probably been the best utilization of him that I've ever seen since I've been watching him wrestle. You know, you mentioned a lot of that early independent stuff, you know, in ROH and stuff like that. He wrestled a, a ton under a mask, whether it was like the suicide gimmick or I think wasn't he like a, a Puma kid at one point? Like, yeah, he had all these different like mask gimmicks that he would do. So 
You never really got Pin- that, that Pinoy face. boy. Yeah, Pinoy boy. You never really got that that face recognition. Um, you know, he did the evolve stuff, but again, that's was very kind of you know diehard hardcore fans were watching evolve. And then yeah, you get to yeah the Cruiserweight Classic and Two Hundred Five Live in the WWE run, and yeah, like you mentioned, just a misutilization of him, and you know they were never really serious about pushing the vision in the first place, so. That was like the biggest platform he had um, until now, but yeah, here in New Japan, I think like the the New Japan Strong Run, you know, parlayed into him joining United Empire, forming Catch Two Two with Francesco Akira. I think like you mentioned this is kind of like the the peak right now of his of his career, the, the proper utilization. Um, he's super over in Japan. The crowds are have been loving his matches and. Like I, I would totally be fine if they decided to give him a junior title run at some point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And TJP too is one of these guys that was there for the initial onset of what would become Strong. But like when they were doing the U.S. tours, even before Strong was ever a thought, we're talking 2018, 2019. He was one of those initial, you know, North American talents that New Japan was bringing in to work those tours. And I mean, when you kind of think about it, the guy was working WWE not that long before that he was working impact. He didn't necessarily need to be doing those little indie, you know, new Japan spot shows in like Nashville and St. Pete and stuff like that. But he was around and he's kind of stuck through it. And I'm glad that he's still here and doing what he's doing and just so impressive. And uh, from this point forward, just so we're kind of clear, um, he is kind of the 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 point where no one after him is alive in this tournament. So like the guys that we discussed prior to this, they're still mostly alive, but like TJP can't make it to the finals now, even with this automatic win. And the rest of the guys that are in the A block, they're pretty much all eliminated. Yeah. So the rest of the guys will talk about TJP and below. All these guys will be fighting for pride uh, tomorrow tomorrow night on the A block finals. Just you know, fighting to get those. Last two points and to kind of end on, on a good foot here and, you know, make a claim for their, their bid for the next year. So first we'll talk about our boy, Doki Haponis Del Mal, uh, currently at six points. He has to win tomorrow's match if he wants to get to eight points and beat his personal best of six points. So on night five, he defeated Leo Rush. Night six, he lost to Speedball. Night seven, he defeated Taguchi, and then on night eight, he lost to Teton. I really disagree with them having him lose to Mike Bailey. I don't know what you needed to do in the points, but I would have loved for him to just beat Leo Rush and then beat Mike Bailey the next night. And then, like, even though it's like I'm eliminated and I'm not in the running, I beat the two guys that made the finals or whatever, however that's going to play out. Like, that would have been cool. Yeah, but. yeah, they could have shifted it up somehow, but yeah, that would have been a great kind of story for Doki being like, yeah, I beat two ties in the top block. Like, I deserve some kind of tile shot based off of that. Like, my perfect booking of Doki is like, he uh, beats Leo Rush, he beats Mike Bailey, he beats Hiromu, and then he beats Taguchi, Teton, TJP, and show, and then he wins the tournament, <laughs> and then he wins the title. <laughs> so you're giving him the the hardcore Holly push. <laughs> what, what, well, what would we do if we put the title on you, Doki? I beat everybody. 
And then he, he goes on, he defends the title against everybody in B block and beats all those guys. <laughs> oh man. But uh Doki's been awesome in this tournament and I'm really pull I don't I guess we'll talk about it. I don't know who he has on the final night, but like he's gotta beat them. I don't care who it is. It could be Hiroshi Tanahashi. He needs to beat them. Period. <laughs> on, a, on a final night he has show. Oh, that makes it so much easier. Oh my god! And I, we're going to talk about show. Well, he's up next, but yeah, uh, that's going to be an interesting match. Yeah. So show, yeah, is also at six points, three and five. He, night five, he lost to TJP. Night six, he defeated Taiji Shimori. Night seven, he defeated Teton. And then on night eight, he lost to Kushida. So another week of a lot of show. Shenanigans. We've been seeing evil come out more, seconding him, and they each night there's a new kind of plan to try to trick their opponent. Um, worked out on, on night six and night seven against uh, Ishimori and Teton, but failed against uh, TJP and Gushida. Yeah, so you know, I guess I don't think I was looking at this tournament with the most discerning eye, and last week we were. You know, I felt so overwhelmed. We, there's so much going on with the show. And it's like, I don't know if I was putting my best foot forward when it came to analyzing what's been happening. But um, after we got done with the show and I started paying a little bit more attention to show, I'm like, oh, hold on. There's a story playing out here. And it is interesting. I don't know why I didn't notice it last week, but like, there's no uh, anybody from House of Torture with him. Like, there's no Dick Togo. There's no. Um, uh, Yujiro or anything like that. It's just evil. And evil is obviously the leader of the subunit, but I can't remember any time prior to this. That should have been a big, like, ding, 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 like red alert last week, but he's never been the guy that seconds or follows or interferes for show. Like, that's a big red flag. Yeah, and usually then, it's either like the whole group or it's just Dick Togo if there's going to be a solo guy. Exactly. And then the other thing, too, is like, it's kind of started innocuously. Like, in, I don't even know if I said that word right, but like in the beginning of the of the tour, it was just evil kind of jumping guys from out of the darkness as they walked to the ring. And then as the tournament has progressed, his different methods of cheating have become more and more pronounced. And there's just been a lot of weird things. Like there's a weird tension and energy between the two of them. And show is not winning. You know, he's three and six. He got three and five. He got eliminated very quickly into the tournament. I mean, almost immediately. Last week when we were on the show, I was like, he's pretty much done. And that's proven to be true. Um, so I got that one right, thank God. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering, Jeremy, and I haven't I, – I, I know people have been wondering things about this, but, like, you and I, we, we met up Friday um, to help. Rich move for his big move to Atlanta. What's up, Rich? What's up, Rich? And um, we were talking. I was like, dude, I think this might be, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like this could be the storyline that rids show of House of Torture because it's feeling like it's leading that way. Yeah, I think, you know, Evil, he's been in the only heavyweight that's been on the tour. And again, you mentioned he's the leader, so it definitely seems like there's some kind of, there's something coming, especially since most of the time, most nights the plan has been failing. I know they did tease the one night uh, against TJP 
where Evil was wearing, you know, United Empire shirt and he had a United Empire flag. And he's like, no, I'm seconding you, <laughs> not Cho. And so they've been kind of like teasing some stuff, a, a little dissension, but it, it always going to end up being a ruse. But then there are some nights where there, there seemed to be some tension and, and the, fan, the, the plans fail. Um, like the Kushida plan, you know, he had the whole the metal plate um, in his leg and his kick pad um, trying to beat Kushida that way. And I thought he was beating Kushida because, and we'll talk about Kushida next, but like he's been in even somehow bigger disappointment in the points total than show, um, which I did not see coming at all. But yeah, they, they use that kick pad gimmick with putting the metal in there. I, they, they had me biting on that one. I actually kind of enjoyed that match. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought it, it was fine. It was a, a little bit different of a formula than what they were doing in the other matches. Uh, but, yeah, that that backfired. Kushida was able to uh, get the win there. So, yeah, so it definitely seems like I can imagine maybe leading into the final night that maybe we'll get some kind of blow up between Evil or Show. Maybe Show will finally just kind of be done, you know, dealing with Evil and his plans not working. Yeah, it might be just wishful thinking, of course, but... When have we ever said they're doing a story with show and it's leading to him leaving the house of torture? That's never actually felt like a thing. And you and I really don't um, move in those kinds of groups where they do the fantasy booking sort of shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're only going to kind of predict something if the, if there's some sort of like evidence that something is clearly happening on some level and all tournament, he has really struggled. He lost, he's lost almost all of his matches. I don't know how privy to the stories Kevin Kelly or Chris Charlton are, but they seem to be doing an extra heavy duty job of just burying show 10 feet under and, really go like taking him to task talking about how great he used to be and how promising he was and he squandered it all and now years have passed and he's no better for it and like it's very almost kind of heavy-handed and it's not and if this was something that kevin kelly was always doing prior to this i wouldn't give it much thought but because it's so overt and then you kind of combine that with why is evil following him out you know, like, what is that about? He never did before. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Dick Togo has vacation and like, he's <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it's like um, shows had since he turned in the last two, like the last two or three tournaments, he's had much, much better tournaments in terms of success points wise. And he's at the bottom of the barrel. It kind of reminds me of, you know, other times where guys have been, struggling and then they were able to turn it around and go in a different trajectory with their character or their career. Um, So I think there is some smoke to this fire. I don't know if it's going to play out on night nine, but with Doki being the guy, Doki is sort of like, he can beat anybody. He's proven like he's in the mix, but he is still kind of kayfabe seen as like the bottom in terms yeah, he's like a bottom guy, and especially under show. Like, you know, show's a guy who like was at the top of the division at one point. He's had title shots. I don't think Doki's ever had a title shot. He's beaten um, you know, Shingo Takagi clean in singles action before. Like, you know, that's the kind of guy show used to be. And if he can't beat Doki cheating with House of Torture, I, I could see there being a collision between him and Evil that 
you know, leads to his departure. I'm also wondering, you know, House of Torture is only four guys. Think about how many units have shown up in New Japan in the past year. Do we even, and I'm not even saying this because, you know, obviously we hate House of Torture. We bury them. You know, that's a given. Everybody does that. But, like, just from a practical standpoint, is there a need for them anymore? Right, especially a part of being a part of Bullet Club, and there's definitely right. some shakeup there, and uh, Dave Finley's changing some things around. I mean, this could be the time to do a shakeup with House of Torture. And, you know, something that was very, you know, kind of eye-opening to me was on this Corkin night when they flashed the graphic of Kushida versus show, the crowd popped because they remembered the old show. They remember the matches that show and Kushida used to have, and they were hoping right. they were hoping they were going to see something like that. And they didn't, but the fans, they they would pop if show turned back babyface and started wrestling like the old show, the Rapungi 3K show. Did you notice show. that they did actually start working the match that way, though? Yeah, because show he got on the mic. He's like, "Yeah, he's like, you know, uh, doesn't matter. I, I'm I'm out of the tournament, but I'm still I'm gonna wrestle clean. Let's do this. Let's show these corking people like what we can do. Let's do a clean match." They started working that match in a way that only those two guys are capable of. And if you guys are listening and you've never seen the Kushida show, uh, the last match that they had from Super Juniors a few years back, and you and you're someone that's into high level grappling. You know, in the in the context of New Japan, you should really check that match out because it is underrated and it's really incredible. Yeah, so I think definitely we gotta keep keep our eyes open here for the the remainder of this tournament to see what happens between Evil and Show and, and House of Torture and just kind of where that lies for for Show's future. It could go the other way too. I'm not saying it's for sure going to be him leaving. There could be something where this motivates him to flip a switch. And then go the opposite way and double down on his evil ways and stick with like they might it might be a red herring the idea that they're teasing he's leaving mm-hmm. and in actuality it turns out that he sticks with them but through this like leans in more to what you know what he's doing so that it elevates him in the division that's also a possibility but if I was a betting man. I'm guessing they're going to have him go the other way. Yeah, I think it makes all sense. I mean, now is a good time for, for shakeups. We're seeing a ton of shakeups right now with factions and new guys coming in. I think now would be a great time to uh, get him back as a, a top bay face in the division. Speaking of shakeups, we got Kushida next. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Kushida, he's 2-6 and six right now, 4 points. Night five, he lost Ishimori. Night six, he lost to Hiromu Takahashi by countout. Night seven, he lost to Leo Rush. And then we just mentioned night eight, he defeated Joe. So, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, this seems like the perfect setup for the comeback. He's down 0-4 or 0-3, whatever it was last week. And we're like, oh, he's, he's going to rally up. He's going to win. His remaining matches, he's, he's going to end with 10, 12 points. He's potentially going to be alive in the finals. And boy, were we wrong. <laughs> Thank God I am not a gambling man because um, if you had given me the option to put some serious money on the, you know, on the possibility that, you know, he comes back and turns things around and is sort of this comeback story for the block, which I don't know if you've noticed, there really has not been a big comeback story. We were really banking on that idea. 
and it just never happened, which is another departure from some of the classic booking that Gato likes to do. But uh, the other thing too is it really seemed like Kushida as a character was cool as a cucumber. Like he had some early losses it just kind of swept off of his back. He wasn't worried about it. Been here before. Been here plenty of times. You know, he's having a lot of success outside of New Japan. And, you know, prior to the tournament, he's just he's been doing really well in Impact and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like he was poised to have a great tournament. And from an in-ring perspective, he has. But then after last week's recording, like, he just kept losing which is baffling so shocking so baffling that i don't and i'm actually not sure if it's a situation where like we we joked with we were talking to rich about this friday and rich was like yeah man he went to wwe got worse yeah (laughs) (laughs) got thrown in the trash yeah he's like you know this man, this man walked out on Shinnihan when they needed him the most. Now, <laughs> now, now he's learning what it feels like, you know. Um, which maybe there's something to that. I don't, I don't know if this is a okay. So like, no, no, no. Backing up a little bit. When he first came back, there were the reports that he was potentially interested in changing his gimmick, changing his character, going a different way, maybe doing something more. MMA based or maybe doing something more, you know, heelish, something that was just a, a different coat of paint. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that never happened. And then he was just happy go lucky time splitter guy, you know, also why we were talking about this the other day. What made this man just be like, I want my gimmick to be Marty McFly. Yeah, that, and, <laughs> that man watched the movie and it was just like, this is it. Like, this is, this is my life. Like, I, I think I, that conversation <laughs> went something like, I really like Back to the Future. Like, oh, that's great. We could definitely work with that. You could do something like Futuristic or Cyberpunk. He's like, no, you misunderstand. I want to be Marty McFly. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, you know, obviously there there was the setbacks with uh, his illness when he uh, contracted foot and mouth disease. What is it? Hand, foot, and mouth disease. <laughs> hoof, foot, and mouth disease. And, um, you know, uh, he never got his title shot, never was really factored into the, the bigger picture, wasn't on Wrestle Kingdom and all that sort of stuff. So we sort of felt like this tournament was going to be his reemergence and, mm-hmm. you know, reutilization and acclimation to the division. And it has not been that way. And I don't know if it's, like show a setup for something or if this is maybe I'm a, being a mark, but I don't know if this is just how they see him right now. And that's interesting. I really can't tell you what this means. Yeah. I feel like it's leading to some kind of change. Interesting thing. You know, his tag team partner, uh, Kevin Knight in the B block has uh three and five. So has a better record than him right now which you would think it'd be the other way around with Kevin Knight being right. the younger guy, the more inexperienced guy. So I kind of feel it's going to lead to them breaking up and leading to a heel turn. Like I can feel like you, you have Kevin Knight kind of end with a better record than him. And then they defend the titles against whoever lose a belt. And then Kushida just snaps and loses it 
turns heel and, and joins some, one of the heel units. This is one of the things that I think is best about this tournament. Um, I've been critical about a few things, obviously. Um, I do think that having so many shows in such a short amount of time has been detrimental, but also there have been some positives. It's give and take. Mm-hmm. But A block has been, in my opinion, far and away the better of the two blocks. And B block's still very good, but this is one of the key reasons. Look at the bottom of the block. This is not a bottom block where guys are just sucking and losing and they're non-factors. Like, they're not bushy, you know? Right. These are guys who are having great matches and have an investable story tied to what's going on with their character. And there are shifts happening dynamically in the actual division. We've been watching a lot of these super juniors for the past, like all the pandemic era ones. And none of them had this level of like high level booking and character development. Like this actually feels like a really important tournament. And look at these guys at the bottom, you know, um, with Kushida and show and Doki and Gucci. Gucci, they all have narratives that all are investable and all important. And yeah, I am interested. I'm still baffled about the Kushida thing because I think you and I both thought he Dude, was going to be in the final. I, I had Kushida versus Desperado as my overall finals. Like I thought that was going to be the, you know the finals. Kushida's big comeback. You know he's back in Japan. You know when he left, he was you know the ace of the division. Uh, let's you know throw him back in there. Let's have this big main event uh, with Desperado. Because I mean, when he came back, he got a big pop. The crowd was very happy. He was back. I mean, he he's a star. I mean, he just was off of WWE TV. He was a, a top star in New Japan before he left. Like to me, it made sense to write. All right, we got a star back. Let's let's elevate him and utilize him and top of the division. There have been two times on commentary where other competitors from the tournament. Um, were doing commentary, and they both said, I don't know if Kushida can still hack it, right? Yeah, I think Robbie Robbie said that, yeah. Robbie said that, and I feel like someone else might have echoed those similar sentiments. That being said, I don't know if that's quite the story that's going on here, because that seems to clearly be Taguchi's story, right? Mm -hmm. But um, it is interesting, because Kushida was having so much success outside of New Japan, leading to the tournament now he's here and he just can't seem to put together a winning you know uh campaign and he's totally out and he's a non-factor and it's very interesting and i am wondering what it now here's the thing i do have that fear that it's not leading anywhere and this is just what it is like he's you know like a freelance guy that like his time has passed and they're glad to have him around, <laughs> you know, but this is, that's how you and I were kind of talking about Sonata before they like pulled the trigger on his turn mm-hmm. and Ascension. And we probably were off on that. So I'm, I'm not ready to throw in the town Kushida and be like, they don't see anything in him, but uh, I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and maybe at the very, very least, it's just one of those stories of where, you're a really talented guy who has a great game plan, but for whatever reason, it's just not working out. I mean, you, you see a lot of time in in, in sports and in, in combat where I, you have two great fighters and the guy does everything right, but he just can't get the, the knockout blow. He just can't beat the other guy. 
that's been the story of every wrestling match I've been involved in. <laughs> I do everything right, but I just can't get the W. I don't know why. It's weird. Well, uh, let's talk about the last guy in the block here, uh, Reese Kaguchi. He's 0 and 8, zero points. Night five, losing to Hiromu. Night six, losing to TJP. Night seven, losing to Doki. And night eight, losing to Speedball. Toguchi's been one of the absolute highlights of this tournament every single night. I know the matches are fairly short, but they've just really blown me away. And they remind me of why I've always liked Toguchi. And this is literally the epitome of don't judge a book by its cover because yeah, he looks like the perverted old man, you know, in the terrible gear that's all ripped and shredded who does the butt shit and all that. But you know, it's kind of been like the reason why every year I'm like, can't count out to Gucci (laughs) because I'm always expecting one or two nights where he does this. And instead we've gotten eight nights where he goes out there and he just knocks it out of the park and, Clearly, he's got no wins, um, but that's the story. Like, he's not the booker. He didn't book himself to <laughs> to lose all these matches. It is reminiscent, in many ways, of some of the final tournaments of such legends of, like, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger or Kojima or Nagata when they're on their way out. And maybe this is the signaling that Taguchi is firmly in dad status in new Japan. And that might be the case. I don't know, but um, he's treated this tournament with nothing but the utmost seriousness. He's gone out there and busted his ass. This is the best string of matches that he's had in years. Yeah. Probably since 2016, maybe even going back further than that. Um, turned back the clock, shown everybody why he, you know, is, been in this tournament for 20 years and, and is so well respected and regarded by his peers. And uh, I'm hoping he gets that win on the final night. Yeah. This man's been wrestling his heart out this whole tournament. And especially this, this last week, it's a lot of really fun matches. I mean, the TJP match, that was a lot of fun. The Doki match. I, I thought, you know, Doki's one of those guys where potentially he, he could have won. He could have gotten that, that one win in the tournament, but uh, couldn't get it done there with Doki. And then, uh, you know, the speedball Mike Bailey match, that was just another uh, really fun matchup. And, um, you know, having to keep up with the, the speed and, and high flying of uh, speedball was just um, a really fun match. So, yeah, Taguchi has been um, just absolutely killing it. You know, we were joking and talking about, you know, we're not getting big match Taguchi this year, but. He came out here and he proved us wrong. And he, he came out here and ha- has been having uh, some really solid wrestling matches and has been um, a highlight to watch in the A Block. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's uh, move on over to the B block. So on top of the block for the B block, we have uh, three guys with 12 points. 
Start off with Master Watto. So he's six and two, 12 points. Night five, he defeated Dan Maloney. Night six, he defeated Robbie Eagles. Night seven, defeating Clark Connors. And night eight, defeating Bushi. So Watto rolling up uh, four straight victories in a row here. Yeah, this was a guy that only had four points last week and was someone that we were like, yeah, he's like a fringe contender. Now he's sitting at the top of the block. And um, I got to tell you, Jeremy, of the three guys at the very, very top, I think I'm the most impressed with Watto in this tournament run, even beyond Yo and Desperado in the B block, because yeah, we've always talked about how like he does cool flips and there's, you know, been an issue when it comes to like confidence, but that's really diminished and kind of become a subsiding thing. And in this tournament, as time has gone on, you know how we talked about how Leo Rush seems to be kind of peaking, but that's more of like, in my opinion, a performance thing. Watto to me has seemed to be a guy that has gained more and more confidence as the tournament has progressed. And you combine that with how his in-ring has improved over the past few years. He's gotten more comfortable. But the big story beyond all of that is this integration of the Everest, Mount Everest. Um, German. German suplex, you know, um, which like they mentioned a few different people have used that. The most notable one to me is like... Um, Yoshihiro Takayama. That's the guy that I most closely associate that move with. But every single time he hits that move on somebody, it's it's lights out. And it's I love that move because it's like they go so high mm-hmm. and then it's this big, slow boom, and it brings them down. And to me, it's just a really believable finish. And I think it fits Watto to a T. And it's, you know, put him at the... Uh, epicenter of this um, B block. And yeah, I guess we're going to talk about uh, scenarios here in just a little bit, but I think it's very plausible that he wins the block. I think it's very plausible that he wins this tournament. Yeah. I mean, we've been seeing the, the push, you know, of Watto mania, him getting into the four way at Russell kingdom for the junior title. And we were talking about last week, you know, there hasn't been an, a ton of follow-up on that push. And so it seems like, yeah, they're kind of getting back on the, the momentum here with that push and kind of elevating him. You know, we're, we are in a youth movement right now. A, a lot of young guys are getting elevated getting pushed. And so this could be, you know, Watto's time. He could at least get into uh, the finals, maybe the semifinals, um, and really show out here and get an opportunity to be pushed to the top of the division. Yeah, I mean, um, if I'm certain guys in this tournament, like Yo or Sho, I'm like, damn, like Kawato's passing me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, he's really just had a great tournament. And I, it is one of those things. I'm sure there's probably some people that are, uh, you know, maybe not following the tournament as closely. And they're like, Watto, the blue hair guy, like he's at the top, but... Um, he just, he had a really incredible showing, uh, in January at that four way where it seemed like they're ready to put the title on him. And, um, 
I'm still of the opinion, no matter who wins this tournament, that uh, Hiromu is not dropping the title to them. I really do. I'm bought in on the idea that they're going for the uh, you know title defense record with Hiromu. That being said, I'm I'm not totally. I mean, if if Wato were to win this and then he's the next guy that gets the title shot, I'd be kind of torn that he not lose again. And I might feel like maybe there's a very substantial chance that he is the guy that kind of takes the title off Hiromu. Yeah, maybe you set a story up where he gets close to beating Hiromu, and then like once Hiromu hits the record, he is the guy to beat Hiromu. Oh no, I'm saying I think that he's the one person in this tournament that if he wins this tournament, I'll be like 50-50 on whether or not he beats Hiromu for the belt out the gate, mm-hmm. ending Hiromu's all-time record defense deal. Yeah, He's the only one that I see as being someone where, because think about it, he just lost that big title match in January, and it's like, I know New Japan's a lot about delayed gratification and long-form storytelling, but like, do you really want to do that? I mean, first off, it's the junior title, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the second thing is like, do you want to ice Wato again? You know, and they've already iced him a few times at this point. A lot of a lot of times when people win this tournament, they do go on to win the title in their next uh, title shot, as opposed to like say the G one. It's a lot harder, it seems like, just from a numerical standpoint. But um, yeah, I think he's the one person where if he wins the tournament, I could see him beating Hiromu. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be an interesting move. I mean, you, you know, you talk about the youth movement and the, the youth push, like that would definitely be a shock to the system right there. Yeah. So next up, Yo also has twelve points. He also uh, had four wins in a row. Night five, defeating Desperado. Night six, defeating Francesco Akira. Night seven, defeating Bushi. And night eight, he defeated Kevin Knight. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about Yo because it's like every time I start to count him out. He kind of turns around and he starts doing cool stuff again, but uh, I don't know. Like it's I I don't feel like I'm seeing someone that's fired up to win this tournament right now. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I feel like we are maybe seeing things differently because we have a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says, "Have you guys finally turned around on these yo performances?" And plus, there's some stuff I've been seeing on social media. I feel like a lot of people are into the yo thing right now. They're impressed with him. They think he's one of the top performers in the tournament, but I, I'm not seeing it that way. The Desperado match was really great. Yeah. There's no getting around that. Um, but to me, it's like, I don't know. I'm Maybe, and I don't even want to call it bias. I don't think right now he's to my taste because it's like he's just doing a bunch of tribute spots. You know, he's doing stuff that all the Hantai guys and legends did before him. And his matches aren't really heating up that much. He's kind of still just rolling people up. Like he reminds me in a lot of ways. And I don't mean this in the like current day Sonata. I'm talking about before just five guys. He reminds me of junior Sonata, a guy that like has all the tools. There's no reason he shouldn't be a top guy. 
He's creative. He's got good looks. You know, he's clearly a great hand. But then he just seems so uninspired a lot of the time. And he goes out there and he just rolls people up. And I'm like, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I've, seen, I've been watching Sonata and ZSJ do wacky roll-ups for years. And it's been a lot more interesting than this. I don't, I don't know. I'm just not into it. Plus, I don't know what the character is. Like, he, he's wearing denim now? Like, all right, cool. You got <laughs> denim on. And, like, I know the, the commentary team's like, this is such a departure from the traditionalism. I'm like, he's wearing denim, bro. Like, John Cena was the biggest draw in the world for, you know, 20 years wearing denim. Like, that's not that – I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just – I don't know. Overall, to me, I feel like most of his performances have just been – just kind of fine. Like, also, yeah, the Desperado match, Night 5, that was a great match. But then you, you look at, you know, the Akira match. That was a one-minute and 34-second match, quick roll-up. The Bushi match, it was just kind of there. And then the Kevin Knight match, uh, I don't know. That match, was uh, there was some sloppiness to that match. I know Kevin Knight's still green, but I also feel like Yosef veteran didn't really, like, lead him well through that match either. And so for me, after this past week, I'm just kind of like, eh, with him, you know, at 12 points, potentially, potentially going to be going into the semifinals, I'm just kind of like, I don't really, I'm just not jazzed up right now. Maybe when, once he gets to semifinals and finals, maybe he'll shout out and have a great performance, but I don't want to wait till then. Like, show me the goods now. And I, I can't tell you that Yo is, like, the worst thing ever or anything like that, but he's just not a guy that I relate to or really get i don't think um i could see him making it into the um you know into the semifinals. i could see him making it to the finals and you know there's no reason he couldn't win it's best super juniors and he's already been to the finals before so it's plausible that he can make it and win but i and even if the, the matches could still be great like we've seen him deliver in the big spot when called upon. But I just don't get excited by him. You yeah. know? That's my problem. Like, I, he's just not exciting, dude. Like, I want to see him go out there and be a fucking star. Go be a star, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? How long have we been watching the show now? Eight years? Nine years? Yeah, like, I mean. Come they, on. They came back from excursion, like, right when the show started, right? Like, 2017? Yeah, 20. it was like 2017, and we were watching him before that. Like, it's taken a long time to get here. A long time. And and I am like you. I am of the opinion that Yo is a fantastic tag team wrestler. I think he's a tag guy. Yeah. I mean, because you put him in there with Show. You put him in there with Leo Rush. You put him in the, the never six-man situations with, like, Ishii or with Bishamon and those guys. And, like, the matches are always great. He's always great in those matches. But then... When you put him in single situation, it's hit or miss. Like you said, someone gets a big main event, a big stage, he delivers. But then, you know, this, these nights when he's in there against a guy like Bushi or Kevin Knight or, you know, some of these other guys, you know, Robbie Eagles, it's like, come on, man. Like, show us something in those matches, too, in some of the smaller spots. Here's the thing I will say. What's great about New Japan Everybody that's in New Japan, almost everybody, 90% of the talent are so good that if they really wanted to turn up the heat on somebody and turn them into a star, they could do it. We saw it with Sonata. 
and they completely turn turn me entirely on Seiya Sonata. So you never know. They could probably do that with Yo if needed. But right now, this Yo, this guy that I'm watching night in and night out, even in those great matches, it's like they're great in spite of him. Like, I don't like the character. I don't get it. And if if he was like, I don't know, I'd rather see Doki. (laughs) (laughs) Look at how many guys are in A block. I just think there's so much better talent in this division than yo at this point like it's a really fucking stacked division and like yeah yo's good but like i'd rather take four i would re i would invest more money in 40 year old kushida than yo yeah i would put more money in riazuki taguchi with zero wins and eight (laughs) losses than yo okay i don't see the upside and i'm still higher on show (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a there's hope for show i take everybody i take every single individual performer in the a block over show sitting at 12 points at the top of b block or i'm sorry yo my bad that ruined my point but the effectiveness of my delivery but uh yeah i take all those guys over yo right now yeah not not feeling it, uh, but the, the other guy at 12 points is... Bro, at- the only person in this tournament that I'm lower on is Bushi. <laughs> I'm serious. Out of 20 guys, Bushi's at the bottom, and then Yo is right 19. above him. <laughs> Yo's 19 to me, bro. I, I, I'd rather invest money in, you know, and I don't even mean this in a derogatory way, but, like, guys that are less of known quantities, like Kevin Knight and Dan Maloney, give me them all day. At least I've seen something from them in this tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so Ellis Barado also at twelve points. Uh, so on night five, he lost to Yo. Night six, defeated Clark Connors. Night seven, defeated Dan Maloney. And night eight, defeated Francisco Akira in a great main event in Cork and Hall. I think Desperado versus Francesco Akira is the first, in my opinion truly great breakout match of this tournament i think it is the match of the tournament and it, it blew me away i loved that match i liked it better i know you're really high on like hiromu and speedball from night one i liked this better than that even yeah i want the same rating on it i want uh four and a half on akira and despy also but yeah it was just an emotional roller coaster this was a breakout moment for akira Mm-hmm. And um, the crowd behind him and him just selling the leg and fighting through the pain of being locked in numero dos and, and TJP out there and trying to throw a towel in. Like, there was just so many elements that were working well in this match. It was hitting on high, super high levels. And, of course, it definitely helped being in Cork and Hall and that, that crowd just being so rabid and, and being behind the underdogs and being behind Akira. So, yeah, everything about that match was just magic and definitely one of the the top matches of this whole tournament yeah despy's a guy who um when he hits he hits so high right like the yo match the francesco care match those main events top and like top notch and i'm not saying the rest of his tournament hasn't been good it has been good it's just kind of been sleepy kind of there and he's like sneakily at the top of the block, but you kind of, and like, 
deep down, if you really know the product, you know he's probably going to be one of the top two B-block finalists. But it's kind of been sneaky until like they put him in a main event spot where he goes out and he shows off the goods. Um, I don't have anything negative to say about his tournament. The one thing I will say, though, is um, he's done a lot of brawling tactics. He's one of the few guys that almost consistently every night is taking people out into the stands and really utilizing the crowd and, and the chairs and uh, kind of just being like that brawling brute sort of character in this tournament. Yeah, kind of, you know, reliving some of his old Suzuki uh, Yoon kind of days, kind of that that more version of himself and kind of lay, laying in more to you know, the more kind of hardcore aggressive side of himself here in the tournament so far. Uh, but yeah, like he, he's been good. I think the Probably part of the reason, and maybe I don't know if this, this is leads to his performance, but like he hasn't really been "quote unquote" one of the main characters uh, of this tournament. Where, yeah, the story in B Block's not revolving around him. Where I feel like, yeah, in the past, especially in some of these pandemic Super Juniors, like he's been one of the focal points, which I think has probably elevated his booking and positioning and him trying really hard. Here, he's not, even though he's on top of the block has 12 points and is potentially going to go into the semifinals. Like this, this B block has not really been about him. And so he's kind of had some of these mid card matches that have been good. Um, and then once he gets in the main event, it's like, all right, yeah, it's Despy. He, he's a man. Kind of remind, I mean, that's sort of what Hiromu's tournament's been like in a, in a way as well. Although Hiromu's because he's the champion, there is more, focus on him but it's pretty clear a block tournament's not about Hiromu and those first two big losses to Leo Russian and um Speedball sort of set that stage and that precedent that's kind of the same story over here it's like Despi's the Hiromu of this block he's the most important figure but he's not the central figure of the narrative going on and that's why I'm saying it's kind of sleepy and sneaky. He's going to make it to the finals, most likely, I'm assuming. But it's most of the narrative that's going on and the storytelling is not based around him. Right. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, Watto has kind of like been the highlight and a lot of attention's been on Watto's kind of journey in this block. And yeah, Despies has kind of sneakily found his way up right up there with Watto. Right. So uh, next up, our buddy Robbie Eagles. He's five and three. He's got ten points, so he does have the potential to end with twelve points, and still has some hope to get in the semifinals. Needs some uh, tiebreaker scenarios to work out in his favor there. Yeah, uh, I think he's alive, but he needs help. Yeah. So on night five, he defeated Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Night six, he lost to Master Wato. Night seven. He defeated Kevin Knight, and then on night eight, in a really fun matchup, he lost to the Drilla, Dan Maloney. Yeah, I mean, losing to Watto is one of the most meaningful losses for him in terms of progression, because obviously Watto's sitting at 12 now, and they were 8-8 eight and eight at the time, so that was a pretty big, you know, adjustment loss like if he'd won that match he'd be in a totally different spot right now entirely because he'd have the tiebreaker they'd probably be at the same point total but it just didn't work out that way but that loss to Dan Malone uh Dan Maloney was 
pretty unexpected and uh that match was great uh, by the way that was um i still maintain the fact that robbie eagles for better or for worse he might not have peaked as high as some of the matches that say like desperado had but he's the most consistently great performer of b block like he to me he's still the mvp and I feel like that Dan Maloney match really showcases, and I'm, I'm, this is speaking nothing ill of Dan Maloney. He's a guy who I feel like, um, based on everything we know about him leading in this tournament, we have not seen the best of Dan Maloney in this tournament. Like It's been an adjustment period. Mm-hmm. And the match with Robbie was where we sort of got uh, a taste of the Dan Maloney that international audiences and you know, British wrestling fans have seen for years and years. And that match was just fucking awesome. And that finish where he was going oh, up for yeah. the, uh, what does he call it? The backpack, turbo backpack? He's going for turbo backpack, and then he caught him, reverse into the Drillakilla. It came out of nowhere. It and was, that was like a story where, like, he was he was killing Maloney and taking his legs, but he didn't count on the power. And, yeah. Wrong place, wrong time. He yeah, and the best too was the crowd because you know the crowd. There's, there was one guy that was really heckling Maloney and starting the the Robbie 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 Oi 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 chants, and Dan was like giving it back to him the whole match, and then he hits a drill a killer and just flicks them off at the end, and was like, "I will, I beat your boy!" Like God, he was just like so fired up. It was awesome. Yeah, it is. I I do think that there's still hope for. Robbie to make it into the finals potentially. Yeah, um, I mean, so on the final night, the final B block night, which will be Wednesday, he's facing Desperado. Okay, so there's that. That's a big match. Wow. Yeah. So if he okay. if he that's beats, Wednesday night. Yeah, it's Wednesday. So if he beats Desperado, he would tie at twelve, and then he would have a tiebreaker over Despy. But what about the Yo Watto situation? So yeah, so he would need both those guys to lose. So Watto has Kevin Knight, and Yo has Kanamaru, and Eagles has lost to Watto. So he needs he needs Watto to lose, but Watto still has a tiebreaker, and he would also need Yo to lose. This is getting messy and murky. <laughs> I don't. He might be out. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I was gonna say is. Um, Part of my thinking was that there's a chance because he's like the only foreigner uh, kind of alive at the top that he might sneak in, but it looks like that's probably not the case. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it looks like we're going to get two domestic stars from B Block going into the finals there. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be the play. Yeah, unless somehow, yeah, Robbie wins and there's some kind of crazy tiebreaker scenario where he gets through, but it definitely seems like. Despi, Yo, and Watto, two or three of those guys are going through. I don't I don't know if I could say that this is Robbie's best tournament. It feels like every year he just is a standout year after year in, in Super Juniors, but he's had a phenomenal tournament. Yeah, he hasn't had the, the ELP match like he did last year yet, which could be the right. Des, could be the Despi match on Wednesday. Um, if 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 I was if I was a gambling man, if I was putting money on it, that's the one I would be like, all right, watch out for this one because, yeah, that's a big one. But man, him beating Despy leading into the finals, that would be so fucking. That'd be crazy. wild. <laughs> That'd be so. I mean, not that he can't. He's beaten Desperado, but like the implications, you know, like Dennis Reynolds said, 
the implications. <laughs> uh, so uh, next up here, uh, Francesco Akira, who's currently four and four of eight points, night five. He lost to Clark Connors, night six. He lost to Yo, night seven, defeated Kanamaru, and then night eight, losing to El Desperado in that Cork and Hall main event that we were talking about earlier. Again, we're we're at that TJP litmus point uh, where essentially from um, Francesco Akira down, the rest of these guys are eliminated. They're all fighting for pride. Um, he needed that win over Despy. <laughs> he really needed that win. I thought he was, I thought he was going to get it. He kept getting out of numero dos, and the ref wouldn't stop it. He wasn't tapping out. You know, he had that big fiery comeback after TJP threw the towel in, but um, Despy caught it. He threw a towel out the ring. I was like, oh man, like Akira could win this. But look at his week. He lost to Clark, he lost to Yo, and he lost to Despy. So it's like he took three huge losses in the span of just a few days. So uh, that unfortunately was his undoing. He had a really strong start to the tournament. But in terms of performance, uh, he's just, he, I, I think he's much better than he was last year. And he was really great last year. But the combat, the, the melding together of his character along with his talent from an in-ring perspective – I think he's great, and um, yeah, I like Francesco Akira a lot. I think he's really, really good, and I felt like this uh, tournament was a, a great step in the right direction. One thing, though, I will say is um, this B block does not feel as fully fleshed out from a booking perspective in the way A block is. Like There seems to be and, – and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's – you got 20 guys. It's not possible that every single one of them can have a compelling narrative, mm-hmm. you know, surrounding them. But Francesco Akira right now is he's at four and four. I think he's improved probably in terms of like year over year tournaments, but uh, you know, this is just where he's at. And I feel like the next step is probably the return of catch two two, which there's nothing wrong with that because they're probably one of the two best tag teams in the world right now. Top three. Yeah, they're incredible, and there's definitely more stuff to do with those guys um, as a team. But yeah, Akira uh, really enjoyed his tournament, and I'm glad he's in New Japan. He's been a great addition to uh, singles and tag divisions, and I think the Desperado match was a breakout moment for him. That's the best match he's had in New Japan, period. And it, it can't be understated. If you haven't seen that match, you have to go out of your way and catch it. And that was one that, like, I know we're talking about how sleepy Despy's uh, tournament has been, but he turned it up in that match where I was like, oh, he's a fucking juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Like, he might be coming on strong for the rest of the tournament after the way he decimated Kanemar, or I'm sorry, uh, Francesco Akira. And like, he hasn't been decimating people, but he, he destroyed this kid. And uh, it was really cool. Yeah, dude. That was such a great story. It was like a little bit, I don't want to compare it to this match because it, it it almost feels like it's not fair, but this felt like a best, like a, how long was that? A 25 minute best of the super juniors mini version of Omega Osprey from earlier this year. Like he mm. kind of killed Francesco Akira and you don't really see a lot of matches in super juniors where someone just gets decimated, but like Akira he, he he didn't come off as this 
fiery underdogs. Like he didn't come off as like Sean Waltman versus one, two or versus Bret Hart. Right. Mm -hmm. He came off as like stone cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. Like someone who's a badass who like just keeps persevering through everything. Yeah, I mean, and, he's still cursing out Despi yeah, in Italian the whole match. And he's like, Yeah, he's still showing all that fire and that spit and like just like cussing the dude out, but he got decimated. It was awesome. Yeah, he's like, Show me something, Despi. Show me something. Despi's yeah, like, show oh. me something. He's like, Okay. Hold this stuff. Show me more. <laughs> so good. Hold this right hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, next up. It was one. probably match of the month. We'll see. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we'll see, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, this week up with the uh, the finals and stuff. Um, also, there's stuff on Resurgence, too, that could uh, maybe compete also. Oh, yeah. Cabernario, Virus. <laughs> uh, so next up, 100 Proof, Clark Connors. He's also eight points. Night five, he defeated Akira. Night six, losing to Desperado. Night seven, losing to Wato. And then night eight, defeating Kanamaru. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I don't want to repeat all the same talking points I had last week about Clark Connors. Nothing new has really emerged over the past week. It's kind of what I said last week where it's like, he's really focused in, he's got this heel character. He's starting to get it over. He's got Gato with him. There is an importance there, but the story of his matches is, is he gonna hit the um, no chaser? The no chaser or not? If he doesn't hit the no chaser, he loses. If he hits it, it's over. Yeah, and you know he, they've been kind of obviously pushing him as like a, a power junior, and Gale's been calling the plays and wanting him to be more aggressive. He wants him to spare guys, you know, three times and then hit the no chaser, which has kind of backfired for him. You know, he's gotten too aggressive, and that's actually allowed the other guys to kind of kind of catch him off guard because he's kind of so bullheaded. He's kind of that, that bull at seeing red, but then the, the cape gets pulled away from him, and that kind of causes him to slip. Well, there there might be an MMA aspect to this, you know. Um, prior to the pandemic, right, guys would be in the, in the fight together, and with the audience and the crowd and everyone buzzing, someone from the corner would call something out to a guy, and you didn't know what they were saying, so you couldn't react to it. But then the pandemic came and they started having those empty arena fights. And like you could hear the other guy's coach saying exactly what he was going to do. And then you'd see him doing it and you'd see guys react in real time. And they'd, they'd be like one, two, and they'd slip the one, two, and then die and then go for a double leg. And you're like, Oh my God, they're hearing the other (laughs) side's corner. I remember a match where like DC was was DC was on commentary. He's like, what he needs to do right now is do blah, blah, blah. And then the guy did it because they could hear the commentators. Yeah. Um, and there might be an aspect to that where it's like these competitors are hearing Ghetto saying like, spear him, spear him. He's like, oh, a spear's coming. No chaser, no chaser. <laughs> like, oh, okay. He's going for the no chaser. <laughs> like, um, there's a John Donaher. He's like a, a MMA coach. I, I think it's John Donaher. I could be wrong, but um, – some of these guys come up with weird nicknames and, and they have like a code. So they'd be like Lucy foot one, two, three. And like, you know, or whatever. And they'd have like a number code and the other person, they do it so that the other team can't know what they're calling for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe if, if maybe if I was a smart manager in wrestling, I would do something like that. Like <laughs> yeah. come up with my own, uh, you know, I could just imagine like Bobby Heenan, 
coming up with fake shit to tell <laughs> the guys to do. Blue Oklahoma, blue Oklahoma. Yeah, blue Oklahoma. Yeah, it's like like in football, like yeah. when they like have codes, you know. Yeah. But Gato's out here. He's like, hit him with the no chaser now. <laughs> Spare. Like, Thanks, Gato. Spare again. Is there is is it any wonder that your guy's not winning? You're saying his game plan out. You're screaming it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, Clark. I think he's been good, but like, yeah, it's it's just been yeah a lot about getting over this whole new persona over, and pretty much they've been booking him very strong. All of his losses have kind of been banana peel losses, and then at post match he'll get his heat back, attack the guy. Lay the guy out, hit him with a chair, and so they're definitely protecting him, even though he's losing. But overall, I think booking wise, definitely probably his best booking in New Japan since he's been in the company. Yeah, Clark Connors prior to the turn, like he was always impressive, but he came off as like happy to be here guy that's just trying his best, like a quasi young lion. Mm -hmm. This guy that's here, he's a fucking man, bro. Like he's, I don't want to fight this guy. <laughs> yeah, that like the cork, and now he got up like that one kid's face, and was just like, I was nervous about that. I was like, you know, because they kind of tell the line in New Japan. I'm like, it's just a little kid, leave him alone. <laughs> and even at the end, the kid tried to too sweet him, and he's like, I don't want yeah. you too sweet. <laughs> oh man. So uh, next up, the Jet Kevin Knight, one half of the IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions. Uh, Kevin Knight defeated Bushi on night five, defeated Dan Maloney on night six, night seven, losing to Robbie Eagles, night eight, losing to Yo. Taking nothing away from Kevin Knight's in-ring performance. The highlight for me in this tournament for Kevin Knight was when he was on commentary. I thought <laughs> he was awesome on commentary. Yeah, he was great. You know how we talked about people last week who weren't really like in character, kind of like pushing stuff like. He was in fucking character the yeah, whole time. Yeah, when Clark was out, you know, brawling on the outside, he was like, "Oh, you you want you want some of it? Like, what's your yeah. problem? Like, back up!" Like, he was like getting into character, like remembering what Clark did to him at the beginning of the tournament, and yeah, through the whole thing, like he was just in character, had great commentary, great lines. I saw some people saying they didn't like him on commentary as much as some of the other guys, but the only thing I got to say about that is racist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that makes sense to me because I thought he fucking ruled, bro. Yeah, he, he was uh, good. Yeah, he was good. Um, you know, Kevin Knight, it, it is really surprising that he has more points in this tournament than his tag team partner, Kushida. I am wondering if there's a, a day of reckoning coming, coming, coming for those two guys, uh, you know, because he's the underling. Like, he's his apprentice. He's his, like... You know the, the 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 greenhorn, the guy that he's showing the ropes to, and he's ahead of him in this tournament, which <laughs> is really surprising. But um, I've really liked Kevin Knight in this tournament. He's gotten some some wins that I didn't necessarily expect him to get. And sure, he's not a finished product even right now. Even though he's got the gimmick change and everything, he's not a finished product. There's still some greenness there, but I think he's really great. I, I think he's learned a lot in this tournament. And let me put it to you this way. I'm more impressed with Kevin Knight this year than I was with like you to Wheeler last year in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Knight's been uh, pretty uh, spectacular with some of the high flying. He's doing the, the no hands jumping super 
Frankenstein or a lot of his. That the, is so sick. Yeah, his drop kick is incredible. Like this guy is super athletic, and obviously, yes, he's still green. Some of his matches there is some like a little bit of sloppiness because he's still kind of getting his footing, still kind of learning how to utilize the high flying, use, utilize his athleticism. But overall, like I was telling Rich, like Kevin Knight has the essence of what Super Junior should be. Young guys going out there, flipping, taking risks, super charismatic, super energetic. Like, you watch him and you hear the way the crowd reacts to him. Like, when he does these leapfrogs, when he jumps up to the top rope, like, the crowd is into him. And we've seen guys in the past with super athleticism, you know, your, your ricochets, your young Will Ospreys, guys who come in and can do some really incredible stuff. And Kevin Knight's kind of on that path. If he can continue to kind of develop and tighten up the high flying game, and you know he trained under Shibata, we know he can wrestle as well. Um, like there's so there's so much upside to him. Totally agree. Uh, next up, the Drilla Dan Maloney also six points. He lost to Watto on night five, lost to Kevin Knight on night six, night seven losing to Desperado, and then at night eight he was able to pick up a win over Robbie Eagles. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that I'm the foremost expert when it comes to Dan Maloney. But for years and years, a lot of people whose opinions I respect, who are very much plugged into the UK Brit res scene, have always praised Dan Maloney and his performances. And I've seen some of his work and I've always liked him. And I do think he's gotten better this week than he was in the early iteration of the tournament. Like, I feel like he's made a few adjustments. I'm wondering if he listens to this podcast. (laughs) He's doing less, uh, or if someone listening was like, do less hand signals. (laughs) But um, I don't know if they've given him the opportunity or the time to go out there and like have a main event. Well, obviously he hasn't had a main event. You know, all those matches have been like sub 10 minutes. So he hasn't gotten an opportunity to go out there and like, have a big time match in the super juniors. Like I mentioned last week, his time slots remind me a lot of like when Gresham was in this tournament, Mm -hmm. Uh, a guy that's kind of getting middle card mid tier time frames, but he's really started to come more into his own this past week. And uh, especially the last two nights, the night with Despy and the night with Robbie Eagles. Now I know you can, point to those nights and be like, well, he was in there with Eagles and and Desperado, two of the top guys in the division, so it makes sense that he would do well. But at the same time, this is someone whose reputation severely precedes them, and I think I saw a little taste of what people have been saying for years about Dan Maloney, and I'm just going to – and you know what? I said this. What when when did Doki first come into New Japan? Was that 2018? That was uh, 2019. He replaced uh, I think an injured Flip Gordon. This is a little bit easier to like say than Doki was, but like if they keep Dan Maloney around, he will be a top guy in this division. I know that sounds like to some people preposterous, but like he is very impressive. He hasn't necessarily put it all together. There's a lot of things, I think, working against him. It's like all new opponents working in Japan for the first time. 
the language barrier, mm-hmm. the, the short amount of time they've given him to go out there, the fact that the crowds don't know him, the time exchange, and then also even just, um, you know, the schedule itself is so arduous. There's a lot going against this guy. And I think even though, yeah, I don't think he's gone out there and like gotten over the way, like say Alex Zane did last week or last year or whatever. Uh, that's his name, right? Alex Zane? Yeah. Yeah. Sauce. It's not like he's, it's not like he's gone out there and like become a darling to the crowds, but I see something there and I think it's substantial and I think he's got real and I, like, my opinion doesn't matter, but like, I think he's a star. I think he's going to be a big, big fucking star. And if not here, somewhere else, New Japan needs to, I'm not saying like scoop him up because obviously he's a, like a Brit res guy, but we've seen them integrate Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay and stuff like that over the years. If he sticks around and he's working in this company, he will be an IWGP junior champion and he will be a top end star for the junior division. And I think he's got the frame and size to, yeah, he'd be like a quote unquote undersized heavyweight, but like there's the potential to put that weight back on and go up the heavyweight down the road. Yeah. I think with him, it's, you know, we see guys sometimes when they come in to Japan for the first time, like they're still trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where he's been. Uh, Cause I mean, I've seen some of his stuff in rev pro and, and he's been awesome, but you know, rev pro is a different beast than in new Japan and your first time in Japan, your first tour, different ropes, different rings, different opponents, like you're mentioning. And so I think he's just still trying to figure it out. Plus you mentioned sub 10 minute matches. Like there's, there's a lot working against him, but I think he's been fighting against that adversity and coming out and looking really good. He understands his character uh, I think he's a great addition to United Empire. And, yeah, the Robbie Eagles match was, I think, like his kind of coming out party for him mm-hmm. and, and showing fans, like, all right, this is a reason why, like, Osprey picked him to be in the group. This is the reason why New Japan allowed him to be in his tournament was because of the stuff like that. And then just the whole, his interactions with the fans and then leading to the whole finish we talked about, you know, into the Driller Killer, like, it was dope. I think there's probably a lot of, like, pro elitist type of fans who are watching this tournament and they're like, I haven't seen anything from him. Not that impressed. And they're probably like, you would take Dan Maloney over. Yo. Yes. Look at him. (laughs) (laughs) And look at yo. There's so much more upside. This guy's a star. I see it. I see so much potential in him. Like I'm really impressed with Dan Maloney. I know that he hasn't gone out there and like, quote unquote made a name for himself in New Japan. Like, you know, he hasn't gone out there and like torn the hinges off the doors like the way that like Ricochet or like, you know, Will Ospreay did when they first broke into the uh, you know, company. But I'm telling you, there's something there. Yeah, there definitely is. And good thing for him, you know, he's part of United Empire, so that's that's an easy avenue to, to bring him back for more tours. That's the other thing too is um you know as much as I like TJP and I like uh Francesco Akira and I do think that they both have the potential to be champions in this division I don't see either of them right now and this could change but right now I don't see either of them as being the like junior ace of that faction and I feel like Dan Maloney's been brought over to like kind of fulfill that spot yeah, it could be. 
Well, I mean, think about it. Because usually when there's three of them, if one of them is going to be utilized to be the new, like, ace of the of the group, then the other two de facto turn into a tag team. Do you see a situation where Dan Maloney gets cycled into team with TJP or Francesco Akira? Like, I don't see that. I no, think he, really I think he's the crown jewel. Yeah, they really established to catch two two tag team, and those guys are great together. So, exactly. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, be junior tag champs, and he's junior champ. Yeah. So for the time being, I think he's like the the even though like he's the least experienced and established of the three guys. And this is nothing against the other two. I just think from a kayfabe perspective, they're setting him up to be the main person for the juniors in that group. Yeah. So last two guys here. First, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, two and six with four points. Night five, he lost to Robbie Eagles. Night six, he lost to Bushi. Night seven, he lost to Francesco Akira. And night eight, losing to Clark Connor. So, you know, Kanamaru started out hot, but... He just dropped uh, four in a row here. Man's not hot. <laughs> Man can never be hot. <laughs> Man can never be hot. <laughs> Perspiration thing. <laughs> I forgot about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so Kanemaru's been awesome. Just uh, we, we sang his praises last week. They have continued. Um even though he's not a factor in this tournament, he's still someone that played spoiler a lot. There was one thing I saw in this match or in this tournament that I did not like that happened on night eight. So he puts Clark Connors in the figure four leg lock and they've really established his figure four as being something that can win a match, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So Clark Connors gets to the ring ropes and then they're still in the figure four and they roll out of the ring and they never broke the figure four leg lock. And then they're on the outside and the referees started counting the one, two, three, and then they start counting them out, but they never broke the figure four leg lock. There's very few things that infuriate me more in pro wrestling than when someone makes it to the ropes and the referee doesn't force them to break the hole. Mm-hmm. Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar used to do this shit all <laughs> the time. <laughs> Like where Kurt Angle would put Brock Lesnar in the ankle lock, Brock would get to the ropes, and then Kurt would drag him back without breaking the ankle lock at all, without letting go, and then, mm-hmm. and then you know reapply it in the middle of the ring. And I'm like, he made the fucking ropes. What are we doing here right now? Go back and watch those O2 matches. Like it's really <laughs> frustrating, and that's what they did here. Like. He got to the ropes. They're in the ropes. They rolled to the outside. And instead of going outside and forcing them to stop, you know, because think about it. This is a move that they established as a finisher in this tournament. And then he's got 20 seconds to apply it on the outside. Like he could have broken Clark Connor's legs in kayfabe. And the referee's just like, oh, well, they're on the outside. One, <laughs> two. <laughs> it's like, no, bro, they made the ropes. And even Kevin Kelly was calling for this, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I sound like Jr., but I just fucking hate that shit. Yeah, I think it would have been fine if Kamara would have applied like they were brawled outside and he applied it on the outside. To- they could have broken it and then gone outside and he reapplied it. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, but yeah, I did not like that. But um, 
other than that, Kenamaro has just been awesome in this tournament, and it's been the renaissance of Kenamaro. We knew he wasn't going to be a factor. He just got the last title shot, but uh, he's been great. Yeah, been a ton of fun to watch, and just like every Super Juniors, he's always he's always a fun to watch. He's had some short matches this past week, but definitely been a solid part of this B block. And then the last guy, Bushi, uh, one and seven, two points. Night five, losing to Kevin Knight. Night six, he beat Kanemaru. Night seven, he lost to Yo. Night eight, he lost to Master Wato. Uh, we had a question here from uh, Rod Easter. It says, if there's such a thing as the winner's purse or pay window, how's my man Bushi able to afford that fly-ass gear and mask? Shout out to Rod Easter. Give love on the uh, Squared Circle Facebook wrestling fan page or group whatever you call that he uh added us to the new japan pro wrestling fan group that he is an admin of on facebook and uh kind of gave some shout outs this past week to some of the uh i don't know what you call it the group members yeah yeah so that's cool um bushi i don't have much to say here i did think it was funny though that bushi got beat by yo by taking an MX and then getting hit with the, what is he called? The direct drive? Yeah. Yeah. Like he literally stole his fucking move and then hit him with the direct. You know, that's like one of those kayfabe things. Nobody ever gets beat by their own move in pro wrestling. Like if you hit someone with their move, if you steal their finisher, they're going to kick out of it. So yo was like, I'm going to hit you with your finisher. And then I'm gonna hit you with my finisher, <laughs> and you're not kicking out of it. Yeah. yeah, that told me like even though yo like yo might not be the hoe, might be Bushi's the hoe, but uh, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, I don't know how Bushi can afford all this fucking gear because it makes no Bro, sense. This every is, night, every night he's got new two, gear, two new masks, new gear. I don't know if you guys understand. Like I, I know that I'm not like. A pro, I'm like an amateur pro wrestler, right? <laughs> like a like I wouldn't call it a backyarder, but like a fake pro wrestler, right? I've looked into gear. Do you know how expensive fucking gear is, bro? I remember when I was back. You're so expensive. I was backyarding, and like we were like starting to like make, take it more seriously. I'm like, yeah, I want to get some gear made. Like I want like an official like John Durst singlet. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, it's expensive, dude. And now he's got like. New, he's got multiple masks every night. Plus, oftentimes he has elaborate entrance gear. It makes no sense. Right, those light up eyes, light up tongue, all the sparkle like leather gear. B- Bushi like has. I know that he asked us about like the kayfabe of like winners purses and pay windows, but like let's break it down into the the real world. How does this man fucking afford it? Like. <laughs> Is he just is he spending all of his money on gear? Is he is he just pulling a 1985 Ric Flair like he's living the gimmick and he's just <laughs> spending all of his money on his lifestyle which is just buying new masks? I don't know. Maybe he comes from money, you know? Maybe he's got the hookup though. Maybe there's like he's got no, he's got the plug. No. 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 <laughs> Listen, man. I've got the hookup down in Mexico. If you want a mask I can't. I'm not going to give you my hookup, but I I can get you some real authentic fly ass gear down in Mexico for like dirt cheap, for like nothing, and eat. But 
if I was getting as much gear as Bushi does down there, oh my God, it would be like, we're talking six figures, bro. Like it makes no (laughs) sense. This guy's got to come for money because he's not making this much money. Like if, if he wasn't a wrestler, I would, if he was a business and he was producing this much stuff and taking this little much money in, I'd call him a money laundering scheme. (laughs) It makes no sense. (laughs) Oh, oh man. man! Well, a few questions here, and then we'll, we'll break down the the finals uh, here. Uh, Def Triangle Seven Twenty. How do you feel about the booking of Clark Connors and Dan Maloney? I feel like we've sort of answered that. To be honest with you, I feel like I can move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate the question, though. Heavenly Halberd, who has been the most disappointing wrestler in the tournament so far, based on their positioning and your expectations for them going in. Kushida. Yeah, easily Kushida. I mean, I, I thought he was going to be one of the finals and uh, did not uh, come close. <laughs> the other one would be Yo. Yeah, especially with the push he's gotten in all these pandemic Super Juniors. The push does not match the output, my guy. <laughs> yeah. Especially when, when you start to really look at it analytically and you're looking at, like, I know he's putting out good but it's mainly mid, and you can't be mid with 12 points when Doki <laughs> exists. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's not right. This is uh, fucked up. Uh, question from the Dark Soldier. Who busted your bracket this year? For me, it was Mike Bailey for being a winner, Kushida for being a loser, and Clark Connors for not being enough of a winner. Seriously, I gave mm. the dude 14 points in the whole tournament win. I thought he'd be an unstoppable hoss throughout what throughout with him being with Finley's with him being Finley's guy. Um, I didn't make a bracket this year, so it's more just like gut instinct. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean I would I would agree with that. I, I'm a little surprised that Clark Connors is lower than sort of expected, but you know, we said during the preview this is a extremely difficult tournament to predict this year. So yeah, I mean, Kushida definitely, I didn't fill out a full bracket, but I had Kushida, Despy kind of circled as my overall finals for the tournament. And yeah, Kushida, if I would have filled that whole bracket, yeah, Kushida would have been the main guy who would have busted my bracket. Well, Jeremy, this coming week, we've got, uh, on May 23rd, we have A Block Finals. That's night nine. Night 10, we have the B Block Finals. And then on Sunday... May 26th, night 11, we have the, oh no, I'm sorry, (laughs) I messed up. On uh, May 26th, which is Friday, we have the semifinals, and then on Sunday, May 28th, we have the absolute best of Super Junior Finals. I'm a little surprised because in the past, they used to do the semifinals and the finals on the same day, all in one night. They're not doing that here. But um, just to kind of go through what we have coming up. So night nine, which is Tuesday, which is by the time most of you are hearing this, this will have already occurred. Uh, We've got Oscar Luebe and Yuto Nakashima taking on the United Empire's Great Okan and TJP. Um, Second match of the night, El Desperado and Ryohei Oiwa take on the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles. Third match of the night, we have the Bull Club team of Clark Connors and Ghetto taking on the United Empire team of Dan Maloney and Francesco Akira. 
Kevin Knight, Master Wato, and Yo take on just five guys, Tai Chi, Taka, and Kanemaru. And then getting to A block action, we have Taguchi taking on Kushida. If Taguchi loses, he will go winless in the tournament. Um, both guys sitting at the bottom of the block, so kind of a really necessary win for both uh, gentlemen. Sixth match of the night, we have Doki versus Show. The semi-main event is Mike Bailey versus Leo Rush, both guys sitting at 12 points. And then your main event of the evening is Teton versus Hiromu, LIJ versus LIJ. And that is our A block night. So I guess we should talk about that a little bit in our preview and what we think is going to happen here. Yeah, so I'll see the, the last three matches are going to be the key matches on this night and determine who's going to move forward in the A1 and A2 slot. Um, Why did you say the last three? Because I feel like only the last two matches really I'm matter. sorry, I'm thinking three guys. Last Yeah, last two matches, but I was, I was thinking about three guys. But yeah, the last two matches are, are the main ones that are uh, going to determine who's going into uh, the semifinals, getting that A1, A2 slot. Um, so Leo Rush and Speedball Mike Bailey, they're both at 12. So whoever wins is going in for sure. Right. Um, cause they'll, they'll have 14 points. And even if somebody ties them, it's, it's a done deal one way or the other. Uh, have we considered the, you know, there have not been any one point scenarios, could this be a situation where we wind up with a one point scenario, some sort of draw, count out, something like that? You could, but then I think then that complicates thing on who's going to be the A2. I think they would both just get in. I guess, yeah. Um, would they be dummies if they didn't just pre agree to go in and both just do a double count out because they both get into the finals at that point? <laughs> Well, no, if, well, if Hiromu wins, Hiromu would get the 14, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. So, so one of them one of them would be out. Oh, yeah. Uh, disregard what I'm saying. I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah, so one of them definitely needs to win. So it, it is a do-or-die situation, but I am kind of confused because... Um, oh, okay. Okay, I'm thinking of everything here. So... If Hiromu loses, and it doesn't matter who wins between these two, because they both basically probably get in. Right. So if yeah, if Speedball wins and Teton wins, uh, so Bailey would get in at fourteen. Then you have Teton, Rush, and Hiromu all at twelve. Um. So you would kind of have to play out the this tiebreaker scenarios there. Where are you getting your information from? Not that I doubt it. Obviously, I don't have anything in front of me, so it yeah. seems like you've kind of gone through the scenarios. Right now, I'm looking at a column uh, from Jay Michael on Voices of Wrestling. He did a column today breaking down the, the A-block scenarios. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. I'm glad somebody's done the work. Because, <laughs> you know, because if it was just me, I'd be like, yeah, something's going to happen. Two guys are getting through. We'll find out. <laughs> So what he, what he has here, so a Speedball wins. He wins the block with 14 points. Leo Rush is eliminated at 12 because uh, any result in Hiromu versus Teton would stop him because he's lost both those guys. 
Uh, Hiromi would remain a chance at advancing at 13, at a draw or winning at 14, but he can't win the block. So Hiromi would be um, A2 if Bailey wins. Um, and Teton would have a chance to advance with 12 because he would hold a tiebreaker over both Hiromu and Leo. If Leo wins, Leo wins the block of 14. Mike Bailey retains his chance to advance at 12 because he has a tiebreaker on both Hiromu and Teton, which means if Teton is eliminated, his best results would be 12 points tied with Mike Bailey, who holds a tiebreaker. Um, so you could have the main event be eliminated if Leo Rush wins, which I don't think they would do. This is getting so crazy. I don't <laughs> even know. Um, okay, so let's just talk about Hiromu for a second because obviously the winner of this tournament faces Hiromu for the title. That's tradition. Mm-hmm. If Hiromu wins, he's going through to the finals, period, pretty much, right? Well, if he if Hiromu wins, yeah, he's going to the semifinals. He, he'd That's be, what I mean. Yeah. I keep saying fi- I'm so used to saying finals. I mean, he's going to make it to the semifinals, and then he's going to face somebody from B Block, right? And he'll either win and go to the finals and face somebody that he already fought in A Block, or he'll face a new competitor in B Block. I'm assuming he's not winning this tournament for a third year in a row. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the semifinals is, is a good way to get him to quote unquote advance without having him win and having him in play to win. But my concern this whole time, and I mentioned this during our preview episode, is that if he comes through and then he loses, he's got another person to potentially defend against, and that person might very well win the tournament. And if and like let's say if he goes to a finals against someone from A block. It could be someone that he already fought in the tournament. Then we could be seeing like a trilogy in a in a very short period of time, which is like something Gato likes to do. And that's something I hate. I hate when they have these cool open, you know, um, tournament formats that result in three back-to-back-to-back matches in a very short period of time. It's something I'm not a big fan of. But I don't see a scenario where Hiromu doesn't make it to the semifinals right now. Yeah, I don't see Teton beating him. So, yeah, I'm seeing Hiromu win, which would get him to 14. Um, And then at that point, it looks like we're going to wind up with at least two domestic stars on the other side. So I'm guessing either Mike Bailey or Leo Rush, obviously one of those two. Yeah, is going to be in in the the block final or the semifinals along with Hiromu, and I am wondering if I don't know it's it's a pick'em at this point. I don't know if it's Mike Bailey or Leo Rush. It feels like it could be either guy, really. Yeah, it could be either guy. I don't know. I'm a little, yeah. I feel like you know, Leo. He's been he's more of a New Japan guy than with than Mike Bailey because Bailey's from Impact, but. That's uh, like normally with how impressive Mike Bailey's been, I I would be like, yeah, just put Mike Bailey. But Leo Rush kind of is more a New Japan guy, and they might go with their people. Right. Um, And if Leo wins, that does kind of put the main event. um, It kind of makes it a little bit more spicy because Leo has a tiebreak over both those guys. Um, What's the situation that Teton needs to happen for him to go through? 
So Teton needs Leo Rush to win. Then that's what's going to happen. And then he needs to beat Hiromu. Right. They're not going to do a situation where Teton's at 10 points and he's... Uh, we, we, we fixed it. This is it right here. Mike Bailey's not winning. They're not doing a situation where Teton is out and he's just playing spoiler and he's just fighting for pride in the main event of the A block to, to find out the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Mike Bailey's losing to Leo Rush on Tuesday, period. Yeah, so you're probably looking at a Leo Rush. It's Leo Rush and Hiromu. Leo Rush is your A1, Hiromu as your uh, A2. Okay, so we figured that out, thank God. (laughs) So then the next night, just kind of going through the card real quick, and this is going to be Wednesday, May 24th. Um, We don't have the full card, but we do have the Super Juniors matches. Um, And the full order is to be determined. So we don't actually have the, the full order here, but we got Bushi versus Francesco Akira. As we mentioned, both guys are eliminated and fighting for pride. Uh, we have El Desperado versus Robbie Eagles, which I'm assuming very likely is a main event or close to main event. Um, after that, we have Watto versus Kevin Knight. Watto is very much in play for the uh, semifinals. Kevin Knight has been eliminated. We have Kanemaru versus Yo. Same situation. And then um, finally, we have Dan Maloney versus Clark Connors. So, the three matches that have implications for the semifinals are going to be Desperado versus Eagles. Both guys are technically still alive. Watto versus Kevin Knight, with Watto being the only one eligible. And then Kanemaru versus Yo, with only Yo being eligible. Yeah, so here, um, you know, if, if Desperado wins, that puts Despi to 14, and he would get through. Then if he, Watto and Yo, I feel like one of those two guys are gonna lose. It's uh, gonna be Yo. Yeah, Kanemaru upset alert, so that would that would leave Yo at twelve, and then if Watto wins, that'd put him to fourteen. Um, so Desperado would be your B one, and Watto would be your B two. What situation does Eagles need to stay alive in the main event? So if Eagle beats, so Eagle would need Watto and Yo to lose. Mm. I think. What did Robbie? Did Robbie beat Yo? <laughs> <laughs> like I remember what happened in this tournament. <laughs> There's uh, been so many matches. <laughs> I'm trying to remember because if do you want me to look on cage match? Yeah, if because if Yo, there might be a scenario where if Yo, if he's beat Yo. And Yo wins. Do, do you not? Uh, did they not do the full scenario on that as well? No, the column for that one's not out yet. Oh, okay. He only, he only did I, a block. I was asking you for the information because I thought like <laughs> Robbie Eagles defeated Yo okay. on night one. Right, right, right. So if Yo wins, Yo would get to fourteen. Well, Robbie has ten. Right. So Robbie has to beat Desperado. Right, and to get to 12, and then he needs the other two guys to both lose so that they're all tied at 12 so he can win a tiebreaker to get through. Right. Or so he needs, needs, or if it's in a B2, like 
Yo could win. No, actually, mm. or Wato could. Hold on, one of them can win. I think he could still get in. So if if Wato won and got to fourteen, and Yo lost and was at twelve, 12. yeah, then Robbie get through because he had the tiebreaker. He could still win and get through and be tied, and he'd have the tiebreaker over the other two guys he was tied with. Right. Yeah. I'm. I already kind of thought Wato was gonna be the winner and Yo was gonna be the loser, mainly just because like it. They seem to be putting the the rocket behind Wato in this tournament right now. Mm-hmm. But with that booking scenario, that just makes the most sense. I think the main event is gonna be, um, Desperado versus Robbie Eagles. Earlier in the evening, Wato will win. He will be one. Pretty much, probably, one A. Uh, what happened between him and Despy when they wrestled? I can't remember. I think Desperado beat him. Okay, so if Desperado beats him, Desperado will be B one. Right. But um, either way, Watto's going to win. Yo's going to lose, and then it, we're going to run into a, a main event situation where it's going to be Robbie Eagles versus Desperado. If Robbie wins, he makes it to the semifinals. And if uh, Desperado wins, he is one B or B one, and I think that's your situation. I think Desperado wins. We end up with Desperado B one, and we end up with Watto B two. So then that would take us to the semifinals. Do you, do you agree? Is that what you you see happening too? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Despi and, and Watto are moving forward. Um, so that would take us to the semifinals in Yoyogi on Friday. So for us, how we booked it out, A1 would be Leo Rush facing the B2 of Master Watto. And then the B1 Desperado would face the A2 of Hiromu. That makes sense to me. And I, then, think Wa- I think Watto's winning this tournament. So you think they would run back Watto Desperado? Be as the main, or or maybe Wato Hiromu as the finals. It, it wouldn't matter. Well, yeah, I think it's going to be Wato versus Desperado in the finals, and it could go either way. Although you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we get that. Des- it could be Desperado versus Leo Rush. That that's kind of what I'm seeing. At least that's, that's what I would want. I'm very against the champion making the semifinals though because any match becomes like there's so much possibility for rematches and even trilogy matches in such a short period of time that it kind of throws water on the upcoming big match that is you know the result of this whole tournament i would just love if titan got through and not hiromu not because i don't like hiromu I just hate watching the same match over and over and over again. Right, because within weeks of each other, he would he would face Despy in the semis. If Despy wins, then you're running back Despy Hiromu. Right, I don't want to see that again. And and how many tournaments? Remember when they were doing the single block tournament? We were running into the same problem. Mm -hmm. Not a big fan of that personally. And this is a little different because these are semifinals. These are supposed to be you know important matches. So. I'm I'm actually going to be pulling for Teton against Hiromu that night, but uh, yeah, I think I think we've booked it right, and I think it's uh, 
If Desperado is winning the tournament, I think we're going to see him and Leo Rush in the finals. Yeah. If Watto makes the finals, regardless of who he's wrestling, I think he's winning the tournament. I could see a, a scenario where he wrestles Hiromo, beats him, and then loses to him in the title match. They could definitely do that, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of interesting The scenario that is best, the, the scenario that's most attractive to me is Desperado versus uh, Leo Rush in the finals. Desperado wins, and then we get the big Desperado versus Hiromu match at Dominion. Yeah, I think that'd be the best bet to go. Well, we did it. We hacked the whole shit. We got it. <laughs> so, yeah. I think... I don't. I know that it's hard for us to always get everything right, especially when things are so open at the beginning. But now, looking at like the last couple night scenarios, I think we're pretty pretty dead on. Yeah. I feel confident about this. Well, we'll find out pretty soon tomorrow with these. Uh, at least with the A block finals, uh, we'll see. Well, Sunday, May twenty eighth at Ota City General Gymnasium. That is the finals. We will have the best of the Super Junior finals. We don't have a full card yet. We did have a question, though. Grunty Dodd said, have they announced that the best of the Super Junior winner gets their title shot at Dominion, or will it happen at a main event on a Road 2 show like last year? And They haven't announced anything yet. Yeah, on commentary, Charlton has alluded to the winner facing Hiromu at Dominion, but it's not been made official yet last year. They had the match on the New Japan Road Tour where uh, Taiji defeated Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, hopefully, they, they will get a Dominion slot. I mean, Dominion's only a few days after the Super Junior Finals, and they don't have a full card for that show yet. Uh, so I think you, you'd want to do the junior title match there. Nice. Well... That is going to do it for our best of the Super Juniors coverage. But we did have this past week on Sunday night, New Japan Strong Resurgence from Walter Pyramid. Yeah, big uh, U.S. pay-per-view here. Interesting, the show was not on Fight TV. Both English and Japanese feeds were on NJPW World through the pay-per-view model. So that was uh, a little bit of a different uh, strategy that they've been going with, uh, that they went for what they went with for this show. And uh, we had a question from Def Triangle 720. How can New Japan improve their marketing in the U.S.? Hmm. Um, that is a really great question. I, I don't know. I mean, without them having like a, a mainstay television presence, it's kind of hard uh, to answer that. I'm, from like a market marketing like um strategist or analyst jeremy you do like more like your job's like based in online marketing what do you think they should be doing yeah i mean honestly i think when it comes to live events um especially for pro wrestling we've seen that tv is a big indicator um but honestly i think from a digital standpoint there just needs to be some more uh, consistency um, with what they're doing. Like, I feel like there is, um, you know, maybe some like more YouTube stuff that they, they could be doing. Um, I know they kind of have the, 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 uh, I think it's called the NJPW extra thing they do on YouTube, but I don't know. I just feel like there just needs to be more of a kind of concerted effort on what they're doing uh, digitally with the U S and I think too, they need to utilize 
the Japanese shows to really kind of drive home what's happening in the U.S. Uh, I know that on the Japanese shows, we've we've kind of heard on commentary, uh, Chris and Kevin mention kind of in passing what's happening in the U.S., but you know, your core audience is watching these Japanese shows. There should be more, I think, advertisements, more video packages on the Japanese shows for what's happening in the U.S. Like, on the Super Junior show, like, in between a match, there should have been a package that was, like, you know, later today, like, you know, John Moxley is facing off his team against Okada. There's going to, have a strong, we're going to be crowning the strong women's champion, like, they should be using more of their airtime. Like you have a hundred thousand, whatever subscribers, new Japan world. Like how many of those people in Japan and in the U S know that you have a U.S. show coming up. These people are, they're, they're watching your Japanese product. So use the Japanese product and then push them to the U S product. Yeah. The, the only other thing I can think of, and I, I agree with everything you said there, Jeremy is maybe pushing things a bit more online and what i mean by that is they do a great job promoting everything that they're doing online but they're doing so much simultaneously all the time that when you're pushing everything none of it really comes off as being a bigger deal and when you're doing a pay-per-view that you are relying on people to pay for maybe you should do a bit more of a push in terms of marketing and visibility and everything like that because um, we're going to talk about it. I thought the show was fantastic. I thought that this was, in my opinion, maybe the single best New Japan Strong U.S. pay-per-view they've ever done from a top-to-bottom standpoint. There are some things to criticize, but to me, this was a pay-per-view-worthy show, a show that was worth actually paying money for, whereas many of their other shows I felt like didn't make that mark. and. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people didn't see it because maybe they didn't know as much about it. You know, yeah, honestly, there, there I, just didn't seem to, to be the same buzz as some of these other shows in the past. I didn't realize that it wasn't even on Fight TV until this weekend when I started. When I went, to I that. had no clue about that either. So yeah, I don't think they had a good job really communicating that. And I think another thing that could help them in the long run is establishing a schedule. Like you know, for AEW, you know, all That's right, a great point. Every May, we know it's double or nothing. We know. Labor Day weekend, it's all out. You know, WWE, you know, January's Royal Rumble, uh, early March or late March, early April, you know, at WrestleMania. Like, they have yet to establish what the U.S., like, every May should be resurgence going forward. If they really want to establish, like, that kind of schedule and knowing, all right, I need to get ready because I know the show is coming. Right, because, like, we've been to resurgence and it was in September. Yeah. And in Japan... Everything pretty much has the same general schedule. So they already know how to do this. They're just not applying it in America yet. But maybe that will change. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got, uh, what is it, 10 matches to go through? I know we're a little over in time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll run through them uh, quickly here. But there's a lot of news items on this show, too. Uh, so the pre show, we had two pre show matches. Uh, the DKC defeated Bateman. Aiming at 23 seconds, and Alex Coughlin defeated the fallen angel Christopher Daniels. Nine minutes and 26 seconds. Um, both solid matchups. Unfortunately, these guys had to wrestle almost in front of like nobody because 
they, I guess, people were in the merch lines or what the deal was, but there was, like, nobody in the stands for these matches. I was told that they were having a lot of difficulty getting in, like, the fans were getting uh, having difficulty getting into the building. Mm. So it was sort of like a, a, a snafu with staff actually letting people in the building, but then there was production issue where it's like, we have to go live with this pre-show because we have these time cues. And, you know, ultimately we saw once the show started later on that most of the building, not fully, it wasn't a sellout, but they mostly filled up. But yeah, unfortunately these matches were in front of almost nobody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was cool to see DKC and, and Alex Coughlin to the dojo guys. They got their own new music, which was cool. And they both got pretty big, meaningful wins over established veteran talent, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, then the main show started. We had El Barbaro Cavanario and Virus defeating the TMDK team of Bad Dude Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. And what a great way to open the show. I loved this tag match. It was totally a, um, uh, a Fire Pro style match. You know, but at the same time, it just flowed really well. I did think TMDK should have won here. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised. I don't understand why uh, the CMLL team didn't <laughs> didn't do the favor here. But they, I think probably like Virus was like, you got me wrestling a dude named Tito. We're going over. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they're going to set up a uh, TV title match. You know, Zach's been defending in Ring of Honor, New Japan, all over the place. So maybe Zach will go and defend the title in Mexico. I don't know, but the match was awesome. I mean, it just really, really great action from everybody involved. And, like, they were, like, two sides. They seemed like different teams, but, like, Virus was, like, the Yave technician to Zack Sabre's, you know, technical world of sports style. And then you had Badu Tito, who was, like, the powerhouse bruiser of his team. Well, guess what? That's what Cavanario is in Lucha. So, like, they were actually kind of the same similar team with just different stylings, and they all meshed together so well. Uh, I, I couldn't have imagined this match going as well as it did. I was really impressed. I loved it. And I thought that the crowd was really into it, too. Yeah, every guy had a, a, a chance to shine in this matchup here, and everybody looked really good. But, yeah, uh, Cavanario hit that uh, his submission hole, which usually gets a quick tap out, and Tio tapped out here. Zach tried to make the save, but he couldn't get there in time. Then we had the first matchup in the strong women's title tournament. Mercedes Monet defeated Stephanie Vicker, 11 minutes and 55 seconds. You know, I didn't know this before we went on the air, but some of my training partners that have trained down in Mexico with Ricky Marvin were like, hit me up this week and were like, dude, you gotta, you got to pay attention to Stephanie Vicker. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this before I went on the fucking air? I could have been the guy with the scoop that was like, this girl's the next hot thing. I had no clue. And they're like, bro, yeah, she's great. And she was, I mean, Mercedes is obviously great, but Stephanie was great as well. This was of the three women's matches and they were all really awesome. This was the best one of the entire year. I, I agree with you, dude. I was so impressed by Stephanie Vercur. Like if I'm a U.S. promoter, yeah, I, I'm calling CMLL right now and be like, I need her on my next show ASAP. I don't think I've ever seen uh, a female from Mexico that I really was super impressed with outside of like maybe like sexy star in Lucha Underground. And it's not that 
I don't, I haven't had that much exposure to too many like luchador females. I don't even know what the technical term is for a female. Yeah, she luchador. called herself an Amazona. Amazona. I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know the terminologies, but she seems like she's gonna be really special. And uh, this match was awesome, high octane. I feel like Mercedes excels more working with someone that's versed in lucha libre than she does, you know, Perezu because yeah. they really gelled well together. This match was awesome. Yeah, Mercedes uh, was able to do a lot of her like lucha stuff, uh, her arm drags and her springboard stuff, and yeah, and Stephanie was also doing some great stuff as well. Like super impressed with her. Like I want to watch more matches of her. Like. If I'm Tony Khan, I'm like I'm calling, I'm getting CML on the phone. I'm like, dude, I need you. Know, you you want to challenge her for Jade, or you know, you want to, somebody to bring in for a title match? Like, I'm I'm bringing her in. I agree. Uh, then the next matchup was another t- uh, tournament matchup. We had Willow Nightingale defeating Momo Kogo from Stardom. Nine minutes and thirty seven seconds. Again, uh, I don't know Momo Kogo. From what we've been told, she's essentially like a job girl for stars over in Stardom, but. I was impressed. And I mean, I guess that's not any kind of shock because we know that the women in stardom are really fantastic. And Willow Nightingale is another girl who, you know, I've heard Dave say this so many times where he's like, they need to pull the trigger on her over in TK land. And I think that's a hundred percent accurate because Mm -hmm. she's getting great reactions. She's got a great personality, great, uh, you know, presence and connection with the crowd and i thought that they gelled together very very well this is definitely like a david and goliath type story but they were um in there doing you know stiff strikes and i saw a lot more from willow nightingale in this one match than every match i've ever seen from her in both aew and ring of honor and in fact i saw more from her in this in just uh you know like less than 20 minutes of wrestling than I've seen in the entirety of her entire time in, in wrestling for Tony Khan. Yeah, she definitely, I think, is underutilized. It doesn't get the, the the time and opportunity she needs to truly shine and showcase what she has. Because, yeah, this night, she was definitely a star. Looked great in this matchup here. With, uh, Momo hits the uh, big uh, gut wrench Dr. Bomb to uh, get the win here. And after that, we. I also want to say, I know that people were kind of balking, and we were probably, at least I know I was amongst those who balked at the idea of this slotting with these four women, and it seemed so obvious on paper who was going to win and blah, blah, blah. But once it was put into practice, it was like, oh, we got like, this has like that international dream match sort of feel. It's kind of cool. Plus, they had really great video packages for the for the women leading into their matches too, with interviews and everything. Yeah. So then, following that, we had the the Blood Feud continuation uh, street fight with a uh, rock hard Juice Robinson of Bullet Club Goal defeating Mister No Days Off Fred Rosser twenty three minutes and ten seconds. And we got a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Do you think every big U.S. show Japan doesn't need to book a no DQ match in it. They always seem to drag down the shows. Okay, I see what you're saying, and I kind of agree with you. Um, you're right. They probably don't. But this match kind of did need it because it's been leading and booked to it the entirety of the feud. Like, if this match had been a straight singles match after everything that happened leading up to this match, it just wouldn't have made any sense. Right. I mean, this was uh, kind of a built blood feud based what happened on the, the collision weekend with 
the Juice Rosser match, and then Rosser costing Juice the match against Archer, and the whole thing of bringing Tony Storm in. So I do overall, I would prefer that you know New Japan shows don't always have a plunder match, but this match was built specifically to be a plunder to have. It made sense for this this rivalry. Plus, like honestly. <laughs> Nothing against Juice or Fred. I, I like both of them, but the idea of those two guys going out there and having a catch as catch Ken style contest in the middle of the show is not that appealing to me. And I might be in the minority here, but I thought this match ruled. I really enjoyed almost not everything. I'm not going to say everything. Almost everything about this match. Obviously, we got to point out that down the tail stretch, Fred Rosser had been name-dropping Tony Storm, Juice Robinson's real-life wife, and getting her involved in the storyline. And she was eventually, she showed up in the middle of the match, tried to interfere on Juice's behalf. Fred Rosser tried to do the old 1980s pro wrestling trope where he backs her in a corner and then he kisses her against her will. And this crowd, everyone can say that this match brought the crowd down. That is not fucking true. This match was hyped. The crowd was reacting to everything they did. They were hot. And then he kissed Tony storm and the crowd was like, Oh no. And it's like, dog, it's 2023. Like you can't do that anymore. And that did shift the entire tone and tenor of the match from that point forward. Um, And then it got weird. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing's just weird in itself. Obviously, Fred being, you know, openly gay, um, and then, yeah, kissing. Well, then, like, in the pre, like, leading up into it, in, like, one of his promos, he was, like, he said that he thinks he might turn straight for Tony, and he was, like, trying to get in the head of Juice, and I'm, like, you're the baby face. This stuff, and then even at the beginning of the night where he walked out with the L.A., the New Japan Academy is what I think they're called now. Yeah. And all the academy people came out. But like I think it was trying to be like inspiring, but it came off heelish. It came off as like Jay White walking out with the bullet club. I'm like, you got <laughs> you got Juice Robinson out here by himself trying to defend his wife's honor. And then you got Mr. No Days Off coming out with all of his students. He looked like Cobra Kai. I'm like, this comes off super heelish right now. Like, I don't know if like they got their wires crossed. They're yeah. portraying him totally Maybe maybe they're turning him heel though. Maybe, but yeah, the whole booking to me, I think of this rivalry has just been weird. We have Juice, who's clearly a heel, Bullet Club goal, but then yeah, his wife is being dragged into this rivalry, and he's you know defending the honor of his wife and the baby face Fred Rosser. Yeah, what what is he doing? He's bringing the wife involved. He's kissing another man's wife, even though he's gay and against her will. Yeah, against her. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's not even about sexual orientation. It's about the fact that like she did, and then like Ian Riccoboni like had to like completely. He was like, I don't condone this. Blah blah. You know what I mean? Like, he's right. like this dude's gonna wake up in the morning and regret having done this. And like he's saying that in cafe, but also like for a shoot, like you're probably not gonna want to have done this tomorrow. Right, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, and it's like, hey, Sting used to do that back in the day. Ultimate Warrior used to do that back I mean, in the day. A ton, a ton of baby faces. You go back in the 90s, 80s, I'm sure even 70s, you find that all the time where... That shit don't fly no more, bro. You can't do that. I'm sure, like, you know, you find, you watch a Miss Sherry, Sherry managing somebody, Sherry's going to get kissed by the baby face or whoever. Sunny in, in the 90s, I'm sure she, yeah. she got kissed by the baby face. And so, yeah, back then, yeah, that... 
in that time period, the way the culture was, that kind of stuff worked. But that that, that shouldn't be flying today. In the words of Hap- or, uh, Billy Madison, that's a uh, sexual assault, brother. <laughs> yeah. Was but I, I really did enjoy the match. And I, I, I understand that there's a lot of fans that don't want to see plunder. They don't want to see brawling and blood in their New Japan. Well, you know, it's America, Jack. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I not as high the match as you are. I felt like it was too long. It was like, too long. Like Fred was beating on Juice for so long at one point. And then, it was too long. Then they did the, I agree. They did the Tony save, but then even like that was like, she did the low blow. The Once pile, Tony came in, it didn't make sense. It, it just, it got overbooked at the end. Right. Like it should have ended when she did the, the low blow, the storm zero. She pulled juice on him. That should have been the finish. But then they kept going for more after that. I agree. Um, after that, um, you know, Juice ended up winning 23 minutes, 10 seconds. Kyle Fletcher came out and um, the crowd was, you know, freaking out, very happy to hear his music. Well, they thought it was Aussie open. And then he came out in a suit with the belts and basically disclosed that um, his partner, Mark Davis, had suffered an injury and that they're going to be forced to vacate both sets of tag team titles um, and that new champions would be crowned at Dominion on June 4th in Osaka. Um, So there was going to be a previously scheduled three-way tag team match between Aussie Open, House of Torture, and Bishamon. Now that match is just going to be Evil and Ujiro from House of Torture versus Bishamon in a tag team bout where the winner becomes the dual IWGP and New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team Champions. Yeah, so really disappointing news here of uh, Mark Davis going out with a knee injury. Um, hearing it's only he's only going to be out for possibly six weeks, but also, we know how New Japan handles announced I, title. Six weeks? Yeah. What the fuck are we doing, bro? <laughs> like, they make exceptions. Oh, my God. I don't even want to get into it. Whatever. But, yeah, we know how they'd run with you. You announce a title match, and you can't make it to defend. They No, they don't. That's not true, because they didn't do that for Mox, and they didn't do that for uh, Bright Lights' Carl Anderson. They, they did do it for Mox for the Tsunami. The one time, but they didn't do it for the year and a half, almost two years of the pandemic that they let him just hold his belt while he didn't defend anywhere. Well, he this is ridiculous, they, bro. They didn't schedule him to defend. They haven't done anything for Kenny. <laughs> Kenny's been champion for five months, coming up on six months. We don't even know when that dude's going to defend his belt. And he's not stripped, but they got a knee injury. They can't. This is bullshit. Well, he's, he's not missing. Kenny's not missing a scheduled defense. You know, that's not the rule. The rule isn't about scheduled defenses. The rule is supposed to be like within a 90 day time period in New Japan specifically. But there, but also, whatever. there also is a rule, though, if you're advertised for a title defense and you can't make it, they strip you. I understand that. But there's also the rule where you need to defend your title every three months, at least once in a three month period. Yeah. Kenny Omega hasn't done that. Why is he champion? Politics. It, seem, it seems to be that if you're the white kind of white wrestler, from America or Canada or North America, the big leagues they'll 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 make an exception for you. But if you happen to be from Australia, you know, well, tough luck. Yeah. So yeah, the reports are that Mardis will be back in six weeks, but obviously Dominion's coming up before then. And so yeah, so Bishamon has a torture double title match. Uh, we had a question here from Les Commission seven two five two. Could we possibly still get Kyle Fletcher 
in the G1 this year. They could keep him busy while Davis is out, plus earning that spot with his performance in the New Japan Cup. If people see him going far in the near future, this will be a great opportunity for him to show that. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. But if this is only a six-week period, it's probably, you know, not going to affect the G1 necessarily one way or the other. Yeah, unless Davis is out longer, something goes wrong with the surgery or whatever the situation is, then they're probably going to go right back to tags and they'll probably get the titles back or at least challenge for the titles uh, before G1. So then uh, following that, we had the strong openweight title, Kenta, defeats Hikaleo by countout and once again becomes the strong openweight champion. Very confused about this booking decision, very confused about the match, and, you know, with the whole idea of, I understand that this wasn't a quote-unquote no DQ match like Fred Rosser and Juice was, but it does seem weird to have booked something that's so plundery and, you know, death and i don't want to say death matchy but like you know blood feudy back to back on the same card right which i do get you know they had been building this whole kenta and Hikaleo feud but yeah why would you do that right after the juice match or book it on the same show but again like you i don't understand the booking like Hikaleo just won the belt had this big moment in japan and now he's dropping the title here by count out uh right back to kenta I have a suspicion. I don't know that I don't want to like say this is what's happening, but like there was the um, speculation about what if like uh, Tamatonga was like leaving the company, you know, it felt like he's being written off. Seems very suspect for them to have taken the belt off of his brother right after he just won that title, his first major singles title in new Japan a few weeks later. And to do it in a count-out manner, like, that seems weird to me. You know, I can't yeah. remember the last time they changed the title by a count-out in this company. Yeah, it could be uh, that the uh, G.O.D. brothers, maybe they're all heading to WWE, and, you know, Tama lost an ever title, and now we have Hikaleo dropping the strong title here. So, yeah, it could be that these guys are leaving the territory. Uh, but, yeah, the overall is kind of booking and, Lat of this match was just really weird, and now Kent is the champion. Uh, post-match, we did have uh, Eddie Kingston sending in a video message saying he's challenging whoever the strong openweight champion is, so it seems like Eddie Kingston versus Kenta will be the next strong title match. And um, after that, we did also had a video that uh, announced that New Japan Strong will be headed to Japan for the first time for a pair of pay-per-view events at Corken Hall. And these are going to be called Independence Day, and they're going to be held on Tuesday, July 4th, and Wednesday, July 5th in Corkin. And like I mentioned, both will be pay-per-views on New Japan World. They advertise Eddie Kingston, Fred Rosser, Tanahashi, Team Filthy of Tom Waller, Jared Kratos, and the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh, uh, at first, when I was like, wait a second, so you're doing a strong event in Japan to celebrate Independence Day in North America. That doesn't quite <laughs> make sense. But then I saw that they were bringing over all the several of the mainstay strong talents to Japan, many for many of them for the very first time ever. So, you know, that kind of makes a little bit of sense, but it is weird. It is kind of like backwards marketing. 
Yeah, and we had a question here from Hawaiian Punch VV. Are the Independence Day shows about to be the best produced strong shows in its history? Very likely so, because even though we hadn't gotten into it, I I do think that this show was great. And I don't think the production was necessarily bad, but one thing that is a hallmark of being less than major league is when there's not a uniformity to your production. And this show doesn't, this show in particular didn't look or sound like many of the other new Japan strong shows, or even more specifically, importantly, the new Japan domestic product. And I feel like there needs to be some sort of effort to make it all cohesive. It needs to look and feel the same way, or at least that's my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, yeah, with them being in Japan, they'll have the benefit of the TBSI production and crew. And so, yeah, those strong shows, Independence Day shows, should be really great-looking shows. During the Access Days, they didn't feel or look like the domestic product, but they were better. They were shot better, so it was like, okay, I can uh, give them the pass because this is shot on better cameras. (laughs) Right, yeah. But these ones are not. (laughs) Yeah. So then following that, we had John Moxley and Wheeler Utah, the Blackpool Combat Club, teaming up with Shota Umino to defeat Kazuchika Okada, Rocky Romero, and Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, uh, this match ruled these guys. Uh, Blackpool Combat Club were like quasi-heels, but they didn't play it full-on heel. They sort of just were like hard-nosed badasses, like what they had been previously in AEW. And actually Okada was sort of more like the angry, like kind of dickish veteran, especially when it came to dealing with like Wheeler Yuta and Shoto Amino, very much in that like vein of Jumbo Saruta. And uh, it, it was good to see a cohesive chaos unit together. But um, the big story of this match, everybody was freaking out when anytime Okada and John Moxley went toe to toe or had any sort of interaction that seemed to be like the, the big selling point of the match. Yeah. And uh, the post-match promo Moxley was talking about, you know, people, they, they go out there for Okada 30, 45, 60 minutes. It takes you a whole hour to beat a guy. He's like, I can beat Okada in 11 minutes. So I can beat him in eight minutes. So it seems like they're, they're teasing um, Okada Moxley singles match, potentially for forbidden door. We know at dominion that uh, Moxley and his crew will be taking on the never open weight six uh, champs, uh, Okada, Tanahashi and Ishii. So, Maybe we're going to get this extended feud with Okada and Moxley uh, throughout the summer. But, yeah, this match absolutely ruled. Uh, Shota showed a lot of fire and wanted to take out Okada in this matchup here. And, yeah, everybody got a chance to shine here. And the, just the flow between uh, Mox, Utah, and Umino and Okada, Rocky, and Ishii were all great. And then you, you knew once Rocky got tagged in towards the end, yeah, you knew it was going to happen. <laughs> you know what it was, and uh, Umino hit the Death Rider and got the pin, and when he did the pin, he did the, the Rainmaker hand pose, kind of mocking Okada. Yeah. Then uh, after that semi-main event, the next match in the IWGP US title tournament, where the winner will face Kenny Omega. This was Will Ospreay defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, 16 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, I really thought that this match was great, but to me, what it was, uh, it was basically, and I hate to say this, and I don't mean to sound demeaning, but it was like Will Ospreay doing a carry job for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not to say Hiroshi Tanahashi 
looked bad. Like we've seen him look way worse than this, but he wasn't wrestling at the level that Osprey was. Osprey was pretty much doing most of the flying, most of the bumping and a lot of the heavy lifting. And Tanahashi was mainly, and it, it, this isn't too different from what he's done, but I'm talking about like, he really just stuck to these few things. Like he was pretty much just doing regular strikes, some regular chain moving, you know, chain wrestling, and then focusing on the leg, doing a lot of like uh dragon suplexes and then you know maybe like a, a sling blade here or there that's pretty much most of what he did he didn't do a lot osprey was pretty much just wrestling around him and it still came off as a fantastic match this uh to me wasn't in the same league as like say their g1 final match from several years ago but it was a good semi-main event considering where both guys are at this point i'd go like three and three quarters probably and you know osprey ended up uh kind of battering him at the end and hitting him with the uh um what's his finish called hit the hidden blade and then the stormbreaker the hidden blade and then the stormbreaker and got him out there one two three so will will move on to face lance archer at the minion and then the winner of that will face kenny omega so then we got the main event here for the strong women's title the final round in the one night tournament willow nightingale Defeats Mercedes Monet nine minutes and thirty seven seconds, and we had another uh, mat injury match here, where uh, the reports are uh, PWI PWI insiders reporting that uh, Mercedes broke her ankle. Um, so there was, there was a spot there where uh, Mercedes looked like she was going for like a code red or a sunset bomb off the top, fell off from the top to the floor, got back in. Clearly favoring her leg, could barely move. Uh, Willow goes for the the doctor bomb. One, two. Mercedes does not kick out, but then Taito does not count to three. Crowd is booing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Willow picks her up again for the doctor bomb, and this time, you know, Taito got smartened up and counted to three. And Willow's our our first ever strong women's champion due to a, an audible. Both women um, cut very impassioned, spirited promos leading up to the match, which I thought was something that was cool that added to the presentation of the show. Both of them did wardrobe changes, came out in new gear for the uh, you know big main event. I especially liked uh, Mercedes' uh, gear because they're in like you know uh, California, like Disneyland. She was wearing like a Snow White inspired gear that we'd never seen before, which was pretty cool. And um, the early portion of the match was like almost all Willow and Willow was the more domineering force and using her power. And I thought they had great chemistry. Dude, Willow hit, were, a, hit a great pounce and, and Mercedes. Oh, that pounce was awesome. Yeah. They were having a great match and it was very clear at this mark, the nine minute mark that Mercedes was in the midst of a comeback. And they're fighting on top. And like you mentioned, you paint the picture, she fell. And yeah, and then she got injured. And that's kind of unfortunate. But the, the kind of cool thing about it, and it, it, it is, it sucks. She got her ankle broken. That's not good. If you really look at the, sto- the story in totality, Mercedes never got her comeback. She started a comeback. She fell. She got cut off. She comes back in the ring. She gets Dr. Bomb twice, one, two, three. And she just got dominated. Mm-hmm. By a bigger, younger, stronger, more powerful woman who is now your champion. Yeah, perfect for a rematch. 
yeah, it sets up a perfect rematch down the line. Um, I like the look of the new title. I don't like that it's the exact same design as all the other strong titles, but I like the color and, and everything. Like Of the three belts, I think this one actually looks the best of the other uh, two strong titles. I just hate that it's the same exact same template. Yeah. Um, Post match, Willow cut an incredible promo and she cried. And, you know, even though this wasn't what the planned finish, uh, she was very emotional about it and really put over Mercedes. She called her the preeminent, you know, female talent in North America of this generation, which I think is 100% true. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it does suck. We only got less than 10 minutes for the main event in, what, in a match that people were very into. Oh, the, the reactions to Mercedes and Willow and Okada on this night were huge. Oh, yeah. All, all three of them. Um, I want to see them wrestle again. Yeah, I think also there's definitely uh, a better match in them. Also, because they got cut short here. So, yeah, I think, you know, you let Mercedes heal. You give Willow some defenses in the meantime. And then you will kind of build Willow up as a good champion. And then you bring Mercedes back as the challenger and, you know, I got hurt in that match, and now I'm 100%, and I'm coming for you again. Last thoughts I have about this show, and what, what I think put it over for me, it was like, it wasn't just the quality of the wrestling, but it was the crowd was awesome, and then it was the stuff in between. They had cool video packages. They had newsworthy things, announcements, and uh, you know promos, and, and angles, and all these things kind of like leading to create the feeling of a, uh, of a meaningful show and not just a throwaway us byproduct that nobody cares about. This actually felt like it was substantial. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had a question here from Rambo slam pigs. It seems clear that the injury to Mercedes Monet led to an audible resulting in Willow winning that match and title at resurgence. Are there any other significant title wins that are known to have occurred as a result of an entering audible in NJPW history? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I can't think of one. I'm, I mean, there, there's the famous uh, IWGP tournament finals between um, Hulk Hogan and Anoki, and it's very, to this day, still disputed. Uh, the finish essentially was that Hulk Hogan hits Anoki with the forearm. Anoki's on the apron. Anoki hits the uh, barricade and either gets legit knocked out or sells a knockout one way or the other. The match ends. Very few people were clued into what was happening. Um, and it's still to this day, a disputed finish. Some people believe it's hundred percent shoot. And many people think it's not. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want nothing else is coming uh, to my mind right now. of Other injuries. I mean, the, I think of injury, I think about the, the Hiromu Kushida match, like the two minute title match that they had. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there probably might be others, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, that's going to take us into the news. Yeah, so very briefly here, Kota Ibushi talked to Pro Wrestling Flosion and said that he's gotten an offer to return uh, to New Japan and that it shouldn't be ruled out as he has seemed to have resolved most of his issues with a good chunk of the people in New Japan. So apparently a return to New Japan is back on the table for Kota Ibushi. Um, Yoda Suji, who faces Sonata for the IWGP, uh, IWGP title on June 4th at Dominion, got a singles match for the CMLL heavyweight title on May 14th at Arena Mexico against Gran Guerrero. He did not succeed in winning their title. 
this Wednesday, May 24th, Orange Cassidy defends inter, uh, the international title against Kyle Fletcher on AEW uh, Dynamite. This Thursday, May 25th, on ROH TV, the ROH World TV champion Samoa Joe and the NJPW World TV champion Zack Sabre Jr. will take on the tag team of Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels and um, Matt Seidel, my trainer. June 1st, Katsuri Shibata will defend the ROH Pure title against Alex Coughlin. And then finally, the Jet Setters make their West Coast Pro debut at uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling Cruel Summer, Saturday, July 8th, 2023. I want to check out that Yoda Suji Grand Guerrero match. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a cool match to check out, especially leading up to his uh, Sonata match. Uh, two quick questions here. Uh, Rod Easter says, have you watched Sanctuary, a sumo-themed series on Netflix? If so, what are your thoughts? I want to check it out. I saw it when it came out, read some reviews, got very mixed reviews. And one of the biggest things was they said that the portrayals of sumo, specifically how it was performed and the rules and, and everything, don't even kind of line up with what sumo actually is, which made me, it'd, it'd be like watching a pro wrestling show where, you know, you know about pro wrestling and it's like the shit they're doing is not like realistic to what pro wrestling is. Yeah. Made me kind of hesitant to watch sanctuary, but it's on my radar. I did see it and I might check it out. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet either. So yeah, maybe I'll check it out in the future. And then a uh, Hawaiian punch BB does thoughts on Lomachenko versus Haney. How would you score it? You know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but um, I I did watch the fight. I didn't score it. Um, it was a busy night, Saturday night, so I kind of had it on my phone while I was doing some other stuff. And um, it looked to me like Lomachenko was winning most of the fight. I know it was close. I, I, I get that the scorecards were close. And if you thought Haney won, I wouldn't begrudge you. But... Those last few rounds, especially 10 and 11, Lomachenko was fucking up Haney. I thought he was going to knock him out, to be honest with you. And most of Haney's big, most of his connected shots were either the jab or body shots. Lomachenko was moving forward. He was pressing the pace. He was the one that was dictating the tempo. He outstruck Haney in every single metric on the entire fight, literally by CompuBox standards. And Almost every major analyst thinks Lomachenko won. I'm I was really I when they said it was a unanimous decision, I really thought Lomachenko won. I probably would have given it to him like 115, 113. But uh the thing that's really, really suspect, Dave Moretti gave, who's been judging in Nevada since like the 70s, he gave the 10th round to Haney. The most one-sided dominant round of the fight that Lomachenko fucked up Haney. They gave he gave round ten to Haney. They need to investigate that fight. I understand close fights, but like, how did all three judges give that fight to Haney? It's really weird. Lomachenko should probably be the undisputed champion right now. Now let's uh, wrap things up with recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended Claudio Castagnoli defending the ROH title against Robbie Eagles for the excursion match of the week. Really enjoyed this match. Um, I, I'm not following the ROH product, so I did see some complaints from people that follow it faithfully that were complaining that they didn't set this match up in any way. Like uh, Claudio's been doing title defenses, but the guys that he's defending against, 
they're names, they're meaningful challengers, but they're not earning the title shots. It's sort of like they're just being given out. Some people don't like that, but in terms of the actual match, it was very, very, very good. The only big, you know, downside is like it was less than nine minutes long. These two guys, if they were given enough time, they have a really killer classic in them because the, the chemistry was wild. They had an awesome match. Um, one thing I didn't like, Claudio did apply a, you know, a modified uh, um, octopus stretch on the ground for like a minute and a half of an eight minute plus match. So like one eighth of the match was spent in a hold on the ground, which is probably not the best way to utilize your time. But once they got out of that and they started getting popping, it was nothing but high speed back and forth action. Obviously Robbie was focusing on the legs and, you know, kind of utilizing the game plan that we've seen him use many times. So it was kind of a, a match between speed versus power but the, the these two guys are consummate professionals. I think they have a classic in them. The match was awesome. I'd probably go like mm, somewhere between three and a quarter and three and a half. It, it, they just didn't have enough time. But like it was a really great TV style match. You know, it'd be an awesome opener for most dynamites. Gotcha. Then for the recommended match of the week, you recommended uh, Tatsumi Fujinami versus Kengo Kimura. Oh, and and I guess I should tell everybody. Uh, ultimately, um, Claudio caught him in the Ricola bomb, hit him with a couple knees, and then dropped him for the one, two, three. <laughs> uh, Fujinami Kimura, I don't know, man. I had a hard time getting into this matchup. Um, you don't like wrestling? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was a, a lot of wrestling, a lot of chain grappling for majority of this match. Like the first 10 minutes is, a, is straight up like these guys just exchanging holes and grappling. Um, and then there's like an intense like kicking sequence, and then they go right back to the wrestling grappling until you get like towards the end at like a 23 minute uh, mark. It's a crazy pile driver from uh, Kamoro, then a plancha from him, then a suicide dive, then this like big like top rope drop kick, and then it yeah. goes to the I guess time limit draw. I don't recall. I haven't watched that match in a few years. I, 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 I do know that there's a lot of down points, but I know there's also a lot of high spots that like are not typical of that time period. Yeah, they were all like, kind of like towards the end. But yeah, once they got to that, it was pretty crazy towards the end there. What would you go like star ratings on this one? Uh, I'd probably go like three and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah. so uh, what you got for excursion match this week? Well, let's keep it easy peasy this week. I know you're going to watch Dynamite, so uh, why don't we uh, do a review of Orange Cassidy, my favorite pro wrestler in the world, (laughs) being facetious, but uh, Orange Cassidy versus Kyle Fletcher, which I'm sure will be good. Nice. And then for the recommended match of the week, we're going to go back to the the Walter Pyramid. We're going to go to Fighting Spirit Unleashed 2018 Golden Lovers versus Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. I thought you were going to give me Kenny versus Jay Lethal. It's a great match. From the, the U.S. Uh, tournament. Oh, that wasn't from Walter Pyramid, was it? No, I think that was, uh, I forgot which, it was a different. It's video. like a convention, the Long Center or something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'll, uh, I look forward to checking that out. Well, all right. That's going to wrap things up for us this week. Next, we'll be back to review the semifinals and finals of best of the super junior 30 
If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash social suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram. We're at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. I'm just keeping a strong style. You can also check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Lila and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. It's your bun. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.